Welcome back to yet another episode of Post Game Content. Man, do we have an episode for you today. I am your host, Michael, and with me, as always, I have our luscious, mustachioed man himself, Max. How you doing, my friend? Oh, Michael, I'm good. I'm very excited. We are we are back into uh, spooky season, and uh, <laughs> I'm excited to start talking about some spooky games. Yeah, so it's kind of funny because uh, when I left the house uh, today to record, obviously, if you clicked on this episode to listen, you already know what we're talking about. But when I left the house to record, I was talking to Brittany and she's like, oh, you're going down to the studio. I was like, yeah, we're recording. She's like, it's October. Are you guys doing like a horror game or something? I was like, no, we're doing <laughs> The Last of Us. And she was... Now, uh, just to give you guys an idea, my wife's exposure to The Last of Us is very minimal. She watched me a little bit play through one and two uh, just a few months ago when I did like a just a full sprint because it was my first time playing through Last of Us 2. So I just went through one and two at once. Um, and then obviously the TV show has her pretty excited. So she's I sat down when I started playing through it for this and she watched like the first 20 minutes of this game, which we'll get into in a little bit. And she was like, <laughs> I what is this like she was legitimately sitting on the couch crying you know and she wasn't alone FYI so uh like that so that's when I told her we were doing that and she was just like that's worse than a horror game <laughs> she's not wrong it's so she's true wrong. <laughs> no it is it was one of those things I was thinking about because I think this game is technically survival horror like that's what all of the gameplay kind of points to but the, the first hurdle in this is I would if I was pitching this to somebody else, I would be like, it is a zombie game, but that's not really what it's about. You know, um, we're we're much more here for for the narrative. I think I think we can all agree on that. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's a really deep narrative with a lot of compelling characters with conflicting interests. And there's a lot of it's a, an incredible script that's well acted. Um and I think most of the like central conflicts of this game can really be boiled down to one question. Um, Michael, are you a brick man or a bottle boy? <laughs> you know, we've known each other for how long, Max? I mm -hmm. mean, it's, we're coming up on like, I don't know, fuck, uh, seven years? Five or six, six years? years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six years, Something seven like that. years. That's mm -hmm. too fucking personal of a question is what I'm trying right. to say. All right? You can't, right. You can't just lay that out on me right now. That's too much. <laughs> I'm sorry to hit you with that. That was, we need, that way, was tough. we need way more time to bake before we get, <laughs> we get that deep. All right. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah. Um, well, before we actually like jump into this game, which I am very excited to do, um, I wanted to give a little bit of an explanation we are a little behind on this episode, as everyone could probably tell. Normally, we, normally we release at the first Monday of every month. Um, mm. I've alluded to some things going on in the in my family. I'm not going to jump into those; they're pretty personal, but they're keeping me really busy. Um, and I've had some other projects I've been working on. We recently launched uh, a new podcast on the podcast banner. We're still spinning up the studio. Wasted Local Fantasy Football is kicked back off. So there's multiple podcast projects that are kicking off on top of these other uh, family obligations that I have, which are of 
crucial importance. So I appreciate everyone's patience for the episodes. We have no intention of slowing down, just a little bit of a delay. So uh, content's coming. If you could just be patient with us, we will get there. Um, and most of all, thank you to Max uh, for just being patient with me while I've been kind of out of pocket. Max and I normally... I've made jokes about it in other episodes. We normally legit just sit in Discord and talk all day while we're working because we both work it's from true. home. Um, but like, I mean, Max can attest. It's just been pretty much radio silent for me for the last couple of weeks. I've just been heads down in the books. I have, <laughs> I finished two website builds in the last couple of months uh, for clients on top of working for TuneIn Fairweather, on top of working for my job. Um, so it's just been, I finally wrapped up those projects. And work with TuneIn and Fairweather slowing down, and it's time to jump back into post-game content and bringing you guys some stuff. So thank you to Max. Yeah. Thank you for the listeners for your patience. That's what's been going on with me. I've had very little time to play games. Um, I'm ashamed to admit that any time that I have had to play games lately outside of finishing up The Last of Us, I've been playing Ark. <laughs> A oh, lot God. of Ark. <laughs> you know what? Fair uh, enough. And this is... It's okay. mindless... And I need something to to de-stress right now. So, I I think that's totally reasonable. And you know, as I always say, thank you to the listeners. But um, if you do feel like complaining about our release schedule, um, fuck you. This is free. You can listen to whatever else. <laughs> it costs just as much to listen to Imagine Dragons. We're not constantly shitting in your ears, so you should be grateful. Is what I'm saying. I think. <laughs> It's a really good point. I, I, I approve <laughs> of this point. Jeez, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Uh, but yeah, so uh, I I think we've talked about it before. I finished up Call to the Lamb as well. Uh, oh, yeah. Fantastic little indie. Loved that game so much. Um, it, you know, it's funny. For as many games as Max and I really, really vibe with and bring to this show, there are just as many that we don't. <laughs> That's kind of true. There's, there's like Michael and I have a couple of very like divergent styles. I think when it comes to games, um, and there's a lot of city builder elements to Cult of the Lamb that really kind of put me off of it. The minute I'm like responsible for a bunch of other people and like I'm the one who has to make the meat poop, I'm, uh, it's too much for me. This is probably why I don't have kids. <laughs> See, I, I've got too many. So I right. think this is actually a, an escape for me. I was like, I can actually make this kid eat shit as opposed to just telling them to eat shit every day. <laughs> so. <laughs> but yeah, so it's just been, it's been just small de-stressor games for me in the evenings. I'm still cracking up, like playing Left 4 Dead with, with Brittany and my brothers and stuff when I, when I have for a time, spare time. But nothing crazy on the horizon, just gearing up for the upcoming holiday releases, Callisto Protocol and etc other other games coming down the pipe so that's that's oh, yeah. where my head's at right now so you playing anything before we jump into the episode michael i have somewhat of i don't know if this is like an admission or a confessional or something but i i took kind of an extreme step in these last couple of days um which is that i started playing the free trial for final fantasy 14 which feels a little bit like telling somebody that, like, I just tried a little bit of crack cocaine. Yeah. Well, it was nice <laughs> knowing you, my friend. And uh... <laughs> it kind of feels that. Here's the thing. I'm at the point now where, like, I'm not completely sucked in, 
but I get it. Like, there's a lot of very almost kind of sinister elements that really keep you grounded into it and really like grinding out levels. And it's a pretty good game to like, you know, if you've got an hour of time to kill, to throw on a podcast and just like, you know, dick around for a little bit. Um, hmm. So, you know, we'll we'll see how this progresses from episode to episode. But the moment it's worrying, I'll say that. <laughs> the moment we stop releasing content because Max is too sucked into a a fourteen hundred hour MMO. <laughs> Dude, when I start doing raids, sorry, I think ladies that's the and gentlemen. End of <laughs> Next if stop, ever, League of Legends. <laughs> if I ever tell you that I can't talk right now, I'm in the middle of a raid. You are legally obligated to tell me to jump off my roof. I think that's okay. That's how that works. I got you. Are you on first, second, or third floor? Uh, fourth. So it should kill fourth. me. Well, I was yeah. getting a gauge of like how high up you were going to have to climb before you had to jump. Right. So, so you don't have to jump off the roof if you're on the fourth floor. I, I'd take if you just jumping off the balcony. So. Well, it's a four-story building, so <laughs> I, I'm there. <laughs> That's what I mean. Like, no, no need to go to the roof. Just dive out the window. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'll get more satisfaction just watching that. So fair enough. Yeah, I, th- I think I probably will too. <laughs> but anyway, um, enough about our sad, pathetic lives. <laughs> yes, it's time to talk about some other sad, pathetic lives. <laughs> Great. In all uh, seriousness, though, I know I've already said it. I'm so excited to talk about this game. This is like when people just talk about video games in general, like top 10 video games, top 20 video games of all time, this game is always in the running. And if you don't think so, you haven't played it. That's just that's just how it goes. Or you're an emotional swine. So That's got to be it, yeah. And I think it's, it, it really is, it is the narrative and presentation that really take this game to that level. Um, and it's nuts when comparing it with other things that were coming out at that time, where, like, because... Um, the actors are given so much freedom to try to tell the story. Um, and because the script is so good, like every other video game immediately looks stilted and artificial when compared with the, the sort of natural rhythm of this game. So let's, because this is so story driven, I think it makes sense to just take it kind of section by section. Um, Starting immediately with a prologue, which I think we can all agree is one of the most affecting, like, what is it, 20 <laughs> minutes of video games? Maybe, maybe of all time. Yeah, um, for sure. So you spend most of the section playing as Jules' daughter, Sarah. Um, and this is sort of the beginning of the uh, the zombie infestation. Um and it it functions kind of as a tutorial, teaching you the sort of ways that you're going to interact with the world. And it doesn't feel that way. All of it feels very naturalistic as you move Sarah through her house looking for her dad. As shit seems to like just kind of quietly be rattling off the walls a little bit. Um, so when you first played this game, Michael, did you have a sense of what kind of game it was going to be? So, no, I didn't. Um, And the reason being is, um, I know we've talked about it before on this podcast about how the presentation of a, and we we talked about this specifically when we're talking about God of War, I remember this, 
um, the presentation of the quote unquote tutorial at the beginning is so crucial because if I feel like I'm in a tutorial, I feel like I'm not in the game. Like I'm not yeah. in the story. I'm not involved. And this game is just one that just wipes the slate out. And I had, I felt like I was watching an interactive film with just enough of control that I didn't feel like I was watching a movie. Like I felt like I was part of this world, like immediately in the first like five minutes of this, of this movie. Like I obviously going into this game, you know, it's apocalyptic, you know, what's mm -hmm. going on. You, you know, you you get a sense for that with the, even the title of the game. Um, but when you walk into this world, you get a sense of just in the first scene between Sarah and her father, you know, he's the mother's not in the picture. They don't have a lot of money. You know, he's he he's not a great dad, but he makes up for it and being like a good father in like the sense of like a friend. He knows he can't be mother and father. So he's just open, honest dad that just they talk about anything and everything and like it is just so real right off the bat. Like, and there's, yeah. you just connect instantly with these characters. Yeah. That first scene, like I, there's no sort of foreshadowing about what kind of game it's going to be quite yet. It's just yeah. a sort of quiet scene of Jill coming back from a job on his birthday. Sarah gives him a watch. That's all that's set up really. Um, and it's enough to sort of build the relationship between these two characters um, with a lot of dialogue that's like natural and very funny. Like Sarah makes a joke when Joel asks her, like, where'd you get the money for this watch? She's like, drugs. I sell hardcore drugs. <laughs> like it's, <laughs> it's really endearing right off the bat um, and contrast very nicely with how, you know, grim things get very early on, but you're right. Like, there's such a good setup in that this game tells you right off the bat it's going to be about the relationship between the characters we present. Um, yeah. And there's a great one set up in the first few minutes or the few first seconds, really. I, I'm going to say this now because I'm going to bring it up in a little bit whenever we get into like the world post apocalypse. Uh, mm -hmm. or I should say once the apocalypse sort of begins. But the game does a good job of setting you up for the type of people or the type of person that Joel and here in a few minutes, Tommy are. You know, they make references that they're, you know, they work these odd jobs. They don't have a mm -hmm. lot of money. They do what they have to do to get by and they do what they need to do to take care of just the things that they need to get done to take care of the people that they love. And I think that that, that those themes of their character are resounding and used to build on later points and they it's just subtly instilled right here at the beginning just little things yeah. that are built into the narrative that don't ever need to be said and they're never said throughout it but you get the vibe for that's how these people are and you only get that type of narrative elements in either like books or mm. in like really really well crafted movies it's something that's even hard to pull off in real life. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up because this is something that I want to like kind of focus on as we go through the game. Um, every section of the game has you interacting with an NPC character that'll be with you for at least a little chunk of the story. Um, yeah. 
And every one of the, those characters is so well written that you can learn a little bit about who Joel is as a person based on how they reflect or confront certain elements of Joel's personality. This is a little bit of yeah. like, I, I liken it to, um, it's a little bit like Batman and his rogues gallery, where every villain that Batman has reflects some sort of element of his personality. And you can learn a little bit about who he is based on the conflicts that they have. Um, in a much more realistic setting, Joel is the same way. Um, you learn a lot about what's important to him and his sense of humor based on how he's raised Sarah in these first few minutes. You learn a lot about what his lifestyle is like based on his interactions with Tommy in his first, you know, very tense few seconds when they're two brothers trying to navigate a conflict together. Um, this will go on. It doesn't stop until like the end of the game. But this is a lot about how you learn who Joel is, is based on his interactions with these characters. Um my heart so, is literally I'm like thinking ahead about like the different things that happen in this game and like I, I'm getting that like pained feeling in my in my heart like whenever like some of the events that happen and like ah just it just hurts like this game just gets you so good. And we can cut it here now where Joel is a good dad, <laughs> he gets a watch for his birthday, and that's the game. <laughs> that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Best best game in history, right there. Best game. <laughs> ten out of ten. Uh, um so we finally get our first zombie sighting, uh, playing as Sarah, who finally locates Joel, who comes back into the house and has to execute one of his neighbors. Um, <laughs> this is where shit gets really ramped up a little bit. Um, say, the stakes raise very quickly here. They do. So, yeah, they absolutely if you, do. If you pay really, really close attention when you're walking through the house of Sarah, you hear things on... There's like the explosion in the distance... Mm. That you can look out the window if you walk in the room. On the TV, they're actually talking about some type of outbreak or some type of like pandemic or epidemic right. or whatever you want to call it. And then it's just like you don't think anything of it because if you don't stop and really pay attention, which you may or may not have done when you were playing with her, you're not going to hear it. So the game is, again, it lessens in subtlety and in environment here. Yeah, this game is pretty comfortable with letting you miss small details if you're not paying attention um which i think kind of plays into the sort of scavenger that you'll end up having to play as you know you're meant to check every nook and cranny of the world you're hunting for resources constantly um and you can get some pretty cool character moments if you're really paying that much attention from room to room if you're not you'll miss them and the game's totally fine with letting you do that um but yeah, that that sort of naturalistic story, um, it comes with the risk of maybe you'll miss this. Yeah, I, I think that we that's a that's a theme. I think that when we talked about like Elden Ring, we yeah. said it was like something that we, uh, the two of us as as co-hosts or just as gamers in general, feel more games need to do. Be comfortable with your gamers missing things. Because it just, if you rely too much on, you know, signposting, it takes me out of the game. Like, I yeah. just, I want to explore. I want that to feel natural. And I, especially in a, a heavy 
narrative entrenched thing. In this game, it's not only just items and environmental ticks and cues. There's dialogue options you don't even get if you're not going back to characters or backtracking and things. So it's little things you'll find where it's just like little conversations your characters will have. So it just, it's cool. It's really cool. It is. Yeah. It shows a lot of confidence in the game you put together. And it feels like you're uncovering some sort of secrets when when those sort of moments happen. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, neighbor gets blasted. And he's neighbor dead. gets blasted. <laughs> Joel has to grab Sarah, uh, meet Tommy at their at their truck, get Sarah in the back of the truck, and now we're gonna try to escape the town. Um little bit of a cutscene plays as we're going through and we start to get hints of the sort of devastation that's starting to happen. Um, again, still kind of at the corners of the screen where you'll see like a zombie run past sometimes or you'll pass like a house that's on fire, but you're not in any sort of immediate danger. And I think that makes the whole experience creepier. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree. Cause it's like, you know, something's going on. You don't know what it is, no matter how, closely you've paid attention to all the the little things that are happening you still don't know what it is so this is this is a game just because of these types of moments that i wish i could like erase from my mind and then replay all over again oh yeah absolutely um so we make it to downtown and you're in a car accident this is where the changeover happens between sarah and playing as joel um And as Joel, you're going to be working with Tommy, working your way through the downtown, trying to get away out of the devastation that is now much more immediate as hordes of zombies and like crazy people are are starting to fall in on you. Um, And the entire time you're carrying Sarah, so you don't have a lot of, you know, actions available to you. You're navigating and relying on Tommy to get you through things. Um, Right. And it's a, you know, it's, I would call this a set piece, but it's an incredibly well done set piece. Um, You know, there's only one path to really follow, but it feels like you have more options available to you. This is something that I think the game will do incredibly well is masking how linear it really is by creating environments that feel like real places. That's, that's like super well said. And in, in areas like this, where there's like imminent danger, all around you i love the use of a literal signpost in tommy saying telling you where to go how to and because it it lets you know that joel's main focus is shouldn't be the navigation he's focused on the safety of his daughter so like lets you kind of look around and gauge what's the safest options while following the the guidance of this voice that's kind of you're more or less just following so it's it's Mm -hmm. really well done it's fantastic there's just so many yeah. things like when you you play this game that just feel like portions of a game but when you really stop and think and discuss them in this avenue like it's just it opens up just how like amazingly creative naughty dog is when it comes to things like this they avoid a lot of the like especially in this section i think in this tutorial they avoid a lot of the like you know uh, kind of cliches of video games that can really pull you out. There's no character saying like, hey, you know, you can press X to run. Shit like that doesn't happen. <laughs> and wouldn't feel right because it doesn't feel like a video game in some kind of way. It feels like an interactive film that you're participating in. Um, 
you know, it's elevated, I think, above above the medium um, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get to the end of this segment where Joel has made it to the outskirts of town with Sarah and he's uh, stopped by a uh, military grunt who hears that Joel is in some trouble with his daughter and immediately takes uh, sympathy on them, gets them to safety. Sorry, I read that wrong. Uh, he shoots at them. Um, <laughs> well, he shoots at them at the command. It's almost like he wants to help, which actually makes it worse. That's true. He's like he gets like a call on his phone. And he's like, "But there's a there's a girl," mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh, Roger that." And it's like at that at that moment is when I like I got the pit in my stomach. I was like, yeah. "No, like don't do this." I'm glad you said that, because this will come back up. Um, so he shoots at them, and they they both tumble down a hill. Joel is on the ground, clutching his stomach, looking up at you know this guy who's got a gun trained on him and begging for mercy, which both of us know he's not going to find. Um, yeah. Tommy steps in and shoots the guy. But let's remember this in moment. In the face. In the face. <laughs> like, goddamn, Tom. Like, two seconds earlier would have been nice, but whatever. <laughs> did what he could. <laughs> he did what he could. Um, it is too late for Sarah. Sarah is gut shot. And in what has to be, like, some of the best <laughs> acting I've seen in a video game, like bar none. Um, I, yes, this is, and I don't want to. I don't mean to sound like that stereotypical, like, "Well, I'm a dad, so I feel like I can comment on this." Like, that's not what I mean when I say this. Like, when I first played this game, I, like, don't get me wrong, like this got me. Like, it's still really emotional. Oh yeah, but, like. I I literally like the other night, and I th- feel like that's probably why Brittany probably just broke down and cried when she was watching this too. I put myself in that like situation. I was like, it wasn't like a wow, that's like really sad. It was like a this is like devastating, life changing, and yeah. I feel like in this moment, not only was it like super sad, but I feel like that's there's a good reason why there's such a long amount of time between this portion of the game and whenever they kicked off the next portion because it's just something so many people don't even recover from. And mm-hmm. I feel like it's just another, that 20 year, I think it was 20 year gap between yeah. that moment. And whenever it kicks up again, is just so, it's so important to allow Joel that time to, and I wouldn't even say heal just like for his wounds to get calloused over. Yeah. And, and it's just, it's, it's just so profound because like whenever it's not like a he busts out screaming or he busts out crying or he goes like ape shit on someone. It is like a reserved, like, I can't believe this happened. And then he just falls apart. And like, mm-hmm. that is so much more profound and so much more sad than yeah it would be if it, if it were one of the other options. It's just, 
there is no way to describe that pain. Like, and not that I've ever felt that. And if listeners have, I, you know, I can't even imagine. I'm really sorry, but man, like the acting here was just like, like you said, just top notch. Unbelievable. Um, and I'm glad that you phrased it the way you did of, of Joel has had time to let his wounds callous over. Cause this is something that we're going to talk about a lot is Joel's method of survival and who he's had to become to not only deal with his grief, but also survive in the world that's been created for him. Um, and part of that is all of that shit gets shoved way down deep and we don't fucking talk <laughs> about it at all. This happens a lot during the game. Um, this happens jumping... a lot in my everyday life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> We're jumping around just a little bit, but um, after tests, when Ellie wants to say like, hey, I'm really sorry about this. First rule, we don't talk about tests. That's gone. That doesn't exist anymore. Or the photograph mm-hmm. with Tommy. Nope, I'm good. We don't need that. Joel has sort of dealt with things by just shutting them down completely and not letting anybody, let alone himself, have access to it. Um, So just real quick, before we get into the first section of the game, we go through Boston, meet Ellie. um, I want to talk a little bit about the music because we smash cut from this intro sequence into like, the title and get a little bit of the credits and, and um, the first taste of the music in the game, which is a very sort of solemn, like nervous guitar piece. Um, And I think it's worth bringing up just to talk about how this game almost immediately distinguishes itself from a lot of other like zombie media to give up, to give a, you know, generic sort of title to, to what we're dealing with, you know, Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of hardcore aggressive butt rock. It's we're dealing with something like a different kind of animal. Um, yeah, it, it's like it's like um, I think the closest way to describe it, if you want to put like something everyone would know, is it's like a it's like an entrenched Johnny Cash vibe. Yeah. This like the southern style like twangy guitar mm-hmm. but it's like it almost feels like the strings are talking yeah like every note is so impactful as like the scenes play out and it is like it was it was definitely it was not something that was written and put in the game it was written for every scene the attention to detail is definitely there narratively and with the music and they just go toe and toe it it's makes such beautiful. a huge difference i think it really does um you know, just just in terms of setting the scene and giving you a sense of the the isolation and sort of emotional weight behind every scene. You know, mm-hmm. this isn't about a lot of events happening to people. This is about the interactions between those people while these things happen to them. Yeah, and I, I think it goes. I mean, that that says it perfectly. And I think to add it add to the literal noise here is you play the game and the music starts and there's this guitar and the subtle undertone and, and narrative soothing to the music. And then you come to find out later on that 
Joel plays the guitar and mm-hmm. it's very similar to that music. And it's like, this isn't music that was written for this game. This is music that's coming from Joel. This is his story. This is how he feels in these moments. And it, when you make the connection there, it it's, it's really impactful. Like, yeah. To feel it helps you feel what he's feeling in all of these moments. Like, like I said, I teared up at the the intro. I definitely teared up the first time I played through this game. And as you're moving through and things that happen with Tess and Henry and Sam and uh David and just all these people throughout the game, and the music just just pushes your emotions just out your eyes. And it's and it's because Joel, this is Joel's song. Like yeah. metaphorically and like literally, this is Joel's song. No, absolutely. And I think that's something that's important to distinguish here is that this is Ellie absolutely is the most important character in this game. But this is Joel's story. He's the person that we follow through and he's the person that we see the the sort of growth that he goes through from the beginning to the end and how he's a fundamentally different person at the end of the game. Um that's I think that's a really good point. It's something that's important to bring up. Um, so as we go through the different sort of environments in this game, you know, Texas, Boston, Philly, I think it um I think a good way to approach it rather than taking it story beat by story beat is talking a little bit about the environments that they find themselves in from environment to environment and the NPCs that will accompany them. So mm-hmm. for, a good idea. for talking a little bit about Boston and talking about Tess, Tess is one of my favorite characters in any video game. I think she's incredible. <laughs> um, our intro to Tess is Joel asleep in his apartment when Tess knocks on the door, busts it open. She's clearly been in a fight and says, guess what? I found out where Robert's hiding. This is an incredible example about how the game is unapologetic about the lack of exposition. Nobody tells you what the relationship between these two characters is. Nobody tells you who Robert is. Um, You're just supposed to watch the scene sort of play out and catch up, which I think is is really impressive. And I don't see a lot of games do um, where you know, the, the sort of relationship between two characters is so well established that you can pick it up without a lot of clues. I also, I think that's, I obviously I agree a hundred percent. I think one of the other reasons why it works so well, because I think that even in the 20, 30 minutes of gameplay we've already had, every single person is trusting of what's next. Mm-hmm. Like they are hook, line, and sinker ready to go. And they are, they know that whatever's coming, this game is going to deliver. So the trust has been built in that small amount of time. And they hear Robert has our stuff. They don't know who this lady is, but they can, they are so connected with Joel, in my opinion, in that moment that they can see that Joel is invested and ready to go. And they're, fuck it, I'm ready. Let's do, let's do this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good point. And so I, I think that Tess is a good reflection of who Joel has had to become in the 20 years between the intro and where he is now. You know, they're both survivors who both 
you know, they've built up kind of a, a utilitarian network of people around the city that they can trust. And that's it. Strangers, they don't trust. Anybody else who's like gets in their way, they're met with very, very quick violence. Like that's just sort of the world they inhabit. Um, and it's not hard as you go through the game to see that J Tess probably was a different person before all of this went down. Um, but she's not allowed to be that anymore. And that's reflected in Joel, obviously, because we have his background. It's not hard to extrapolate out and assume that Tess probably has a similar kind of background to Joel. Yeah, and I'm glad you said that because that's exactly what I was alluding to earlier when I said I was going to circle back around to it. And this is just the first example of this is that in this type of world where it's very different from like other post-apocalyptic type games to where there there is like a resounding structure to the the sense of survivalship that still maintains the the humanistic elements of the remaining world so in the in the life that joel and likely tess and many of the others they were people that didn't have a lot that fought for what little they had and held on to it and were appreciative and those are the people that survive mm -hmm. and tommy was the same way and you get the vibe even the shitheads of the game like uh you know david and um what was not what was the guy's name that we were just talking about that has their, robert that has their guns like right. all those people were probably of that same ilk yeah before this this whole thing went down so it just it sets the vibe that while everyone there is this sense of like like you said very quick to violence and survivalistic nature to everyone because they have to have it also, a lot of that is probably just reminiscent of the, the of who those people were before this happened. And it's very easy to see. And it gives you a sense that while they only told Joel's story, we just met Tess. We see how similar she is to Joel in a lot of ways. And we can immediately pick up that even without knowing her background, that she probably had a very similar story. And we're willing to trust that because yeah. of how well told Joel's story is. Absolutely. I, I think there's a lot of humanity around the very edges of this game that doesn't make its way into the narrative itself outside of like a couple of moments, but it's not hard to see that there was a different trajectory for a lot of these main characters before they became who they had to be to survive. Mm. Um, so we go through this whole rigmarole trying to get our guns back from Robert, um, end up meeting with Marlene at the Fireflies, and eventually we meet with Ellie. Um, wh what was your first impressions of Ellie, like, going through this game? Um, I thought it was appropriate. Because, mm -hmm. like, you don't know, like, right looking at her, you don't get the, you get the vibe that she's, like, 12. I thought she was younger than what they actually initially let on. What was her age? 14? 15? Mm -hmm. I don't even know what her actual, her actual age was. I think she was um, 12, yeah. 12 or 13. Yeah, something like that. But, like, it, regardless, her being this, like, preteen, young teenager, she is spry. She doesn't give a shit what you think. And she is... She has, regardless of her age, 
been through enough shit to justify her voice being heard in those moments. And she 100% believed that. And like we just said, just the attitude and how these characters display and carry themselves is enough to get you to believe this that as well. Yeah. And there, I did 100%. I was ready to go. <laughs> there's such a contrast, I think, between Ellie and the rest of the cast because she doesn't remember what the world was like before everything was like completely and 100% fucked. So right. she comes at things like she doesn't quite have the same gravitas or wistfulness that I think a lot of the older characters have. This is just the world she inhabits and I think brings a lot of, you know, lighter moments to the, to the story that I think is, is um, necessary in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. But the shell, the shell is like the teenage angst shell, not to like put that wrapper on her because it doesn't mm. really define who Ellie is in any way. Sure. Um, but like her, to people that she doesn't know and to Joel and Tess right at the beginning, there's that that vibe of, you don't know me, you don't know who I am, you don't right. know what I've been through. Doesn't matter what you've been through, even if you're older and we're there in the beginning, mm -hmm. doesn't mean I haven't seen things too, you know what I mean? Yeah. And some of that even resurfaces later on, so... Yeah, it's a. I think it's a big part of her character. Like, there's a fuck ton of angst, and it's well justified. <laughs> um, yeah, and that I do want to comment since we're like in this arc between here and there, um, mm. or between where we start and where you pick up Ellie. Um, I think this is a good part part to bring this in. So, I, obviously, I've played this game uh, on multiple avenues i started it once on ps3 never finished it picked it up on ps4 and played it and then i just recently picked up last of us part one on playstation 5 so i've had a pretty good spread of how i was able to experience this game and my favorite thing while we're talking about tests just this remake um while we're talking about like environments and storytelling when you first play as tests like in the either the PS3 version or the PlayStation 4 version that was remastered, it is, she's like a younger, mm -hmm. but she doesn't look like it. I think it was my favorite thing about the remake is that they aged Tess. Yeah. They made her very similar in age to Joel, and it made her attitude so much better. All The voice acting was the same. Everything was the same, but her movements, her the way that she looked, it just made it all the more believable. And I read an article, um, or maybe I, I heard it on a podcast that I was listening to, but someone had mentioned that they knew people in Naughty Dog and they won't shut up about this game. Like it, this <laughs> game is their baby. They all talk about it. Like it is the best thing that's ever happened and they should, it's fantastic. But like the, the that little detail, those little tiny flecks of light in the eyes, the small adjustments to things like that. It just in this beginning scene was the first thing that I noticed and probably thing that's going to, that stuck with me the most about playing through the remaster or should the, so the remade version of the game mm -hmm. was Tessa's character. Yeah. So I just wanted I, to, to throw that in while we were talking about Tess. No, I think that's a good point. And I think that also reinforces what we were talking about of saying like, Tess is supposed to be a reflection of Joel. This is, they're at the same point, and this is why they formed some sort of bond. It makes sense that they would be similarly aged. Because um, you're right. In the original, I think she is 
it felt to me she's supposed to be like maybe 10 years younger than than Joel, like if not yeah, more. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, they added some grays to her hair. They added, uh, they dulled down her eyes a little bit. They added some aging in her cheeks and just her, like her skin in general. And it was just like, that's Tess. Mm. Attitude, the way she walks, the way that she, you know, she talks to, to people and just displays her, her survival skills are just someone that has seen shit. And the original test just didn't look like that. It's crazy how in a game that's so narratively driven, just something so small can make such a big impact just on how the game is presented. So kudos to you, Naughty Dog. I, I was in the boat that this, this remaster deserved the $70 remake. A lot of people don't agree. That's completely fine. I was 100% okay with buying this again for $70 because I just want to support carrying this project all the way through. I have other reasons that I'll talk about when we get to the end. Sure. For why I think that it's worth it, but we'll we'll get there. <laughs> yeah. But I, yeah, Robert, fuck that guy. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah, now that we're we're getting into the game a little bit more. Now that you know, we've met Ellie um and we have a job to take her to uh the uh boston capital to for her to get picked up and taken out of the city we're we're at the point finally where i think the gameplay is starting to develop a little bit where the game is sort of coming into its own all of the mechanics are starting to be presented to you and the game is starting to become what it's going to be um Mm -hmm. so i would describe the stealth and sort of survival-ish survival-ish uh gameplay of the last of us to be slightly bare bones like i think it's enough to get the job done while still giving you a little bit of freedom of expression for how you handle encounter to encounter but i think maybe could have done with a couple of more weapons or a little bit more options available to the player i don't know how did you feel about it going through this playthrough um i I just kind of hearkened it, or I should say hearkened back to the statements they they had made at the beginning about, like, not having weapons or, like, having just everything been taken from him or they everything mm. got sold off. And so, like, the whole time I just had it in my head that, like, if they were reliant that much on those weapons for everything that they needed, I expected to be playing through with bare bones. So it didn't really, I I just don't think it affected me that much. Now in terms of mechanics, I thought the game was a little light, especially going at, going through the last of us two. Um, You talked about how the game at this point is opening up like into the playability and the mechanics. Um, I think it's worth noting that, you know, in that first scene before we transition to this with Ellie, I think if it's either it's in Philly or Pittsburgh or wherever you're actually going through right there at the beginning, the first big city, mm. um, that before you get there, you have lots of uh, combat, person to person. No, uh, I, I don't want to call it PVE, but <laughs> just person versus person mm. combat. And the game is, it's boiled down to those two types of combat. You have your PV person versus person and person versus cordyceps or first person versus zombies cordyceps yeah. being the name of the the fungus and virus in the game um and they are the two intertwine really i mean for the most part 
the yeah. two stay completely separate throughout this entire game. And it isn't, I believe, until like The Last of Us 2 where that actually becomes like an, an element where you can use the two against each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so and, and it shows a good advantage. We'll get, we'll get to talk about that later though. But that that is where I felt the game lacked. Even back when I played it on the PlayStation 3, it felt like, why are there never these scenarios where the two come together? There's cut scenes and like small elements where like in the background people are shooting at each other or right. uh, shooting at uh, the zombies and things like that. I, I'm going to call them zombies the rest of this time, so I apologize. No, I and I think that's fine. That fungus monsters or cordyceps. We know what we're talking about. Just yeah. easier. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just for any purists out there that are angry, but no, you're um, right. Like we have so few sort of enemy types to really, you know, interact with throughout the game. You know, you you've got your human hunters and those are all you know correct me if i'm wrong but those are all pretty much the same um mm-hmm. and then you've got runners clickers bloaters and uh i think that might be it yeah so not a ton of enemy variety but i think yeah the very oh go ahead go ahead i was, I was just, just going to say the variety i think the variety is in the environmental placement of those characters. Bingo. Because you you'll get a lot of uh, there's someone hiding there, or you know they're around here. And this goes to my first point, where I want to be very clear when I say this. I am comp- I'm not gatekeeping this game at all. I am not. I understand accessibility. I understand that other people need this option. I understand other people may have fun playing this way, but. This game is meant to be played with listen mode off. <laughs> I'm just th- I'm just gonna th- throw this out here right now, and I, and I not I don't mean that to be like a pedantic ass. What I'm saying is, it's much more realistic. It is much harder, but the ability to see around walls and see where people are, and like I said, I understand accessibility. I understand there's people that don't hear great, use those mm-hmm. things. It makes the game playable for them, and that's fantastic. I love that they add those features. The game, if you have the ability to play it, play it once with the, the listen mode to get to the narrative, play it once without, it changes the whole game. That's really it interesting. It is phenomenal. Because this is where I was, I, the reason I bring this up is we're talking about enemy placement in the environments. And when you know where every enemy is, you can kind of, it's much easier just to navigate this area and just kill things stealthily and things like that. But when sure, you yeah. play, that recent playthrough, I played with it off. And how many times I was like, okay, I know there's an enemy over there. I can hear him. I'd walk around a corner and I just get ambushed because I would just walk in front of someone that was just standing there waiting. And it was right. like, I should have done more reconnaissance. And if you pay start to pay attention, the game is set up to allow you to still be stealthy and find ways through all those environments while you can still see everybody and you don't get caught off guard very often and that is what it would be like getting surprised and having to take those chances and learn so i'm just saying no shame to anyone who plays that way that's totally fine but you should give it a shot because it is uh amazing i think that is cool that i gotta be honest that never even would have occurred to me to turn listen mode off because I, I considered it such a fundamental tool while you're going through the game. You know, it's, it's one of, you know, you only get four shoulder buttons and one of them is devoted to listen mode. Um, 
but I would absolutely try playing this game. This is another moment where I wish I could just wipe this game out of my memory, you know? <laughs> right? <laughs> I. This is another one like Dark Souls where I feel like I have every encounter pretty much memorized at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, now, um, now you don't. <laughs> yeah, and now I'm going to get my shit kicked in. Okay, that's a... <laughs> That is a great idea. I'm definitely going to try that. It 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 was freeing. It was. And I, I will admit, I was not in that boat. Not because like I thought it wasn't. But I, like you, was like, didn't think anything of it. Mm-hmm. When this game was getting ready to release, I was listening to the... Um, give, a, give credit where credit's due. I was listening to Easy Allies, and I think it was Huber that was talking about this uh his version of this playthrough when he was like play it without listen mode and i was like well shoot i'm about to replay it for my podcast Mm -hmm. i'll give it a shot and bro it is way harder but it was really cool did i turn it back on about halfway through the game because i was trying to finish it up for the show absolutely (laughs) but man it is just it's a different game it is like you just uh, the encounters are slower you're more methodical it's more difficult you get surprised that adds the element of jump scares in there, like right. But naturally, not like you know, trigger jump scares. It's just it's tough. Fuck that rules. Okay, that's good to know. I'm I'm keeping that in mind. Okay, you know who could have used listen mode is uh, Tess. <laughs> Oof. <laughs> I hate that. I hate that. <laughs> She gets, uh, I don't know, there, there's got to be some sort of like, you know, it, getting the most effective death, death scene in this game is, uh, that's a high bar, but I think Tess is right up there. Um, Tess, as you're making your way to the Capitol, slips up one time, gets bitten, and when you burst in the Capitol to realize that the people you were supposed to meet to hand off Ellie aren't there, has... A, a real sort of moment that I think reveals a lot about who Tess is. Um, Tess really wants to believe that Ellie is the answer to like being the cure. She kind of has to, in in this moment where she knows she's going to die, believe that this has all been for something. And I think that sort of belies like, you know, she says to Joel that, like, we're shitty people. We always have been. And I think this kind of reveals that she doesn't really believe that. She thinks that they've done what they've done to get to this point. And Ellie is their chance to have all of that stuff mean something. Um, and that's what she's trying to pass on to Joel in this last moment. And it is just, it's a, I don't know, everybody gives a tour de force of a, of a performance throughout this game. But... This one in particular, I think, sticks with me a lot. Yeah, for sure. Oh, you team this with, just rewinding a little bit, team this moment with the conversation that they had whenever they got caught and mm. they scanned Ellie and they were like, this girl's infected. And then Joel finds the device after they you know, clean up shop here and kill these guys that says that she's infected. And he's like, I don't fucking believe this. Like, this is ridiculous. And you know, the first person to go, yeah, but what if is yeah. Tess. And mm-hmm. then you fast forward to this moment and you have her literally just saying, like, my time's up. 
I'm dying for something. Mm-hmm. And it goes without saying, but she's just pretty much telling Joel, you motherfucker, you better do this for me. Like, yeah. And you better get out because that's my, that's my literal dying wish. And then she lays her life on the line to slow, slow down the people who are chasing you to, mm-hmm. uh, to get you and Ellie out. So what an absolute unit. Yeah. Tess. Absolutely. Just the mad lad of the game. I, I'll say this about Tess. Like whenever I first played through this game, I remember thinking I was like, this NPC has like outlived the normal length <laughs> and NPC stays with you. So at that point, I thought she was like, the I companion. just got to the point where I was like, yeah, she's just going to be in this game for a long time. And then they're like, nope, fuck you. And I was like, no, why? Why? I already went through this traumatic death shit once. I don't need another one. <laughs> I And that's this, when I was like, okay, it, I'm just going to harden my heart towards this game because I'm just right. going to get burned again and again. We don't we don't talk about so. Tess. <laughs> we we don't talk about Tess. <laughs> um, oh man. Yeah, I think that's I, another I pull a Joel here. Yeah. That's another example of like how this game sort of eschews like, you know, the sort of signposting that you would see from uh typical video game like introductions. You know, it, one of the most infamous I think is from Assassin's Creed Origin. And if you're a huge Assassin's Creed fan, I'm sorry. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're here with us. Um, <laughs> I, I have so many things to say. You've somehow so managed to move on. From you've it. somehow <laughs> managed to feed yourself this long. So I guess, <laughs> um, but you have a kid at the beginning of Assassin's Creed Origin who keeps saying shit like, oh man, I can't wait to grow up and be a Magi someday. And you're like, this kid's going to die in about five seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Great. You've signed your own death warrant by saying that. Fantastic. Yeah, exactly. It's like you've and, never been in a video game before. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude. And by the way, it, look, Michael, if you ever say some shit to me, like, I'll be right back. Just stay right there. Or like, uh, Man, when we get out of this, we're going to go on a vacation or some shit like that. You are dead. You have <laughs> signed your death warrant. That is it. <laughs> That's what you get for wishful thinking, Tess. Damn it. <laughs> she did this to herself is what you're really telling me. <laughs> I think I'm saying that she avoids a lot of those lines for a really long time where you get a sense like of the relationship that she has with Joel and you sort of fall into like, this is a typical day for these two nutbags. Um, <laughs> and then shit goes real wrong. So you sort of, ex- you know, it, it felt surprising to me the first time I went through it, Tessa's death. It didn't feel signposted like in the way that I think a lot of video yeah. games would have with that character. Yeah. I think that's what I like about this game entirely is like what, like you said, every, there's a lesson to be learned about every NPC. There's something of Joel's character that comes out with every NPC in the game. And there's, I I read an article a couple, this this is probably over a year ago. Well, I forget what song it is. People can people are gonna give me shit for this, but it's like a time to blah, a time to blah, and it goes through like this, uh, to live, to die, and like the cycles mm. that the song presents. And they likened it to how Joel's character in the game goes through these cycles to where he experiences different 
things that help him grow and different pieces and elements, just like the, uh, like the different seasons of, of the earth and throughout the course of this game. And it's so telling. And then Tess being this first one where this is like the first time Joel has that like band aid ripped off yeah. in like 20 years and it hurts. Mm. It, he hates it. And he shuts down and he's angry. Like, it's just, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. He has a really like, you know, you can contrast this against um, Sarah's death, which is raw. And Jill is super vulnerable and has a moment where, you know, he's completely broken down. Tess is probably the closest person that he's got to in 20 years. And no tears are shed. You know, he is all business. Get out of the building. And when they finally do have a moment and, you know, uh, Ellie, who's known Tess for about five minutes and really wants to fucking talk about it, Joel just completely shuts that down. Like, not having this conversation. Let's move on. Let's keep going. It It's a huge contrast in the, the sort of person that he is now um, and, and how he's had to survive. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I agree with you. Uh, that was Turn, Turn, Turn by oh. Pete Seeger. But uh, more importantly, and this is what I meant to say, I can't believe I didn't bring this up. That was the original lyrics actually from the Bible, which is originally why they think there was portions of the game, because this game is largely divided up into like nine segments. And the portion of the Bible that was pulled from is the book of Ecclesiastes, where it, it goes down through a the times where there's a season for everything. And it mm -hmm. goes so perfectly with Joel's, uh, Joel's character arcs, because it says a time to be born, a time to die, to plant, to reap, a time to kill, to heal, to break down, build up, weep, laugh, mourn, dance, cast away stones, gather stones, embrace, refrain, gain, get, lose, keep. Rent, time to rend, sow, silence, speak, love, hate, war, peace. And it's like, holy crap. <laughs> like, <laughs> like there's there's elements of like that song and those verses from the Bible that are just so prevalent to like how the structure and narrative of this, this game is set up. Not that like themes, biblical themes are uncommon in, mm -hmm. in narrative elements and any, of any capacity, but whether you believe it or not is irrelevant. It's just, it's, they're very common. And Joel follows the steps. Like it's a constant cycle of, of life and death and, and learning and, and reaping what he's sowing. It's, and it's wonderful. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> I, this should be a surprise, Michael, but I have brain worms. So the minute you said, uh, a time to gather stones. I just pictured Joel's weird ass grab animation, just doing one of these bad boys. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the only thing that takes me out of the game is his weird claw arms just raking shit off of shelves. At least you don't have to hear Aloy's voice going, ah, oh, better craft some more arrows. Oh my God. And we will talk about that game at some point. <laughs> Will we, though? <laughs> yes, I need to. I have a lot of feelings that are burning deep in my stomach. <laughs> um, so after making it out of Boston, uh, we get a little bit out of Massachusetts. And I want to kind of go quickly over this section, um, unless there's there's some certain point that you want to hit. I want to talk about Bill for a, sec for a, a bit, only because... Um, 
Bill, I think, sort of reflects who Joel could end up being at this point. Yeah, 100%. Joel is 100% like trying actively not to get close to Ellie in any way. He's not engaging with her jokes. He's all business and he's trying to keep her at an arm's length. Um, Bill is a character who has lived in the same town since you, you know, you get the sense for like years and years and years just on his own. Um, and has become so paranoid about other people and so unwilling to, you know, let himself get close to other people that, he's he's really sort of insulated and dug in and this is just gonna be what bill's life is is living in this one town unable to go anywhere just completely stuck and going a little bit crazy by himself um and there's like an illusion of a relationship that bill did have um with a partner that he cared about who hung himself and you know probably because bill is not able to form any sort of meaningful relationship despite how he feels about this guy um you know it's really tragic and it is like it's a smaller part of the game i think this section um getting fully out of massachusetts i'm gonna assume you're in like i don't know like everett or some shit town um (laughs) but uh yeah, like uh, I, I, I think Bill was the first time that he was my way into understanding how each of these characters are sort of reflecting where Joel is or trying to teach him something, and I think Bill is a very negative sort of reinforcement of the path that Joel is going down. Yeah, and I think, I think even more importantly, the game is. Obviously, when this game was created, there is a strong, let's just say this game, this series is a book. Last mm-hmm. of Us Part 1, Part 2 are, are of the same book. Yeah. This is the first character, I think, that was introduced, not so much to, I think it does, a, it serves exactly the point you just mentioned, but I think a larger point, too, is I think this character serves to show Ellie or show as a, a mirror or some type of reflection of who she thinks Joel is aspiring to be or thinks that he is. And I think this is the first, this serves as a way that um, I guess Ellie looks at this character and kind of thinks, okay, this is, I don't know anything about Joel, but the little I'm finding out about this guy, I just assume that, Joel is very much has is like I said before of the same ilk. Yeah. So, and I think it's not hard to Ellie get. Ellie forms a lot of her. Go ahead. I don't even think Ellie's wrong, frankly. Like Joel and Bill have a lot of similarities. They interact very well. They have the same kind of mindset of utilitary, like let's grab everything we need. Um, like they're not that far off from one another at this point. Yeah, I just and Ellie, like the mannerisms, things like that. I think that with young kids like that, as as much as they try to set themselves apart, they're impressionable. Mm-hmm. And I think that they look for those and obviously that's a reoccurring theme in this game, is that 
uh, Ellie looks up to Joel even earlier than she cares to admit. Right. But I think that when she sees this and sees Joel's mutual respect for this character is something that she mimics and has a has a respect for how they respect each other. Mm. Yeah, I think that's absolutely so that was, true. That's why I liked this point of the game was because I it's your first time you start to see how Ellie is absorbing things, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, don't, I don't think Tess's death hits her that hard. Like, I think that she's upset by it and she uses but she uses it more as an avenue to, to get closer to Joel. Only whether it be for the reason that that's the only person she has left yeah. or, you know, for whatever reason, that's what that serves for Ellie. Uh, but this this is a much more relaxed environment for her. She gets, like I said, she observes that respect and uses it in a manner to to grow her own opinions on these these topics mm. without being under duress. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, you know, constant zombie attacks. But apart from that, no duress. <laughs> well, I mean, I got like you. obviously, there's always the th- threat of death in this game. But sure, like, some one of them isn't dying actively. Yeah. So. No, I think that's true. It's a little bit more of a, a relaxed point in the game. Like the stakes are a little bit lower. I like a lot of the environments that you go through. Um, you know, going through neighborhoods, and you get the bow and are finally starting to like stealth your way through sections kind of effectively. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's I think it's outshone a little bit by other segments of the game. Personally, yeah, for sure. It, it's like it's one of those things that's like it definitely you have this in any we've talked about this in the past i think we talked about this in god of war is that the game has so much to offer you in all aspects the other moments like this it doesn't they're not forgettable moments this is this is a part whenever i was replaying this i got to this and i was like i completely forgot about this and i was happy that i got to relive it sure and I love moments like that because in other games, there's tons of games out there that I'll replay it. Um, the, uh, what do they call it? The, the water temple effect. Right. You know, I love Ocarina of Time and you get to the, uh, the water temple and you're just like, well, I'm done with this playthrough. I'll see. Well, <laughs> I'll see you later. Fuck this shit. <laughs> exactly. Or, or moments that you're just like, oh, God, I don't want to do this again. Like this sucks. Right. We but call like, that the second no half of to- Dark Souls. Oh man, I could <laughs> I could talk to you about that. I could talk about that. <laughs> um I just had that conversation with Daniel today, actually. Um but uh yeah, so like the whole game is just complete and it is so refreshing, even though I've played through this game three times now within the last couple years, to get to this part and it feel good, it feel fresh, and not be something that I've like ruminated on for hours thinking about like so many other parts of this game are and still walk away from it even with like the intense like truck scene and all that kind of stuff it's just so fun and interesting and yeah like new to me because you just it slips your mind as not being so intense but having so many elements that like like you said new weapons new like that's the first there's lots of scenes and parts in this whole segment of the game where you don't do things like this again and they created it just for these scenes and to build the tension or to, you know, to, to strengthen the characters and develop a little bit of trust between Ellie and Joel that you just kind of forget about. But they're so subtly planted that that's how it's supposed to go. You know, I don't remember all the things 
and my friendship with you that have built that level of trust, but I know it's there. Yeah. So being able to harken back to those and relive those is really cool in a game like this. I think it really highlights something that, you know, is is present throughout every of these different segments in the game is that the goal is clear from the outright. This is the same sort of God of War, get to the mountain sort of thing, where there is a crystal clear objective from segment to segment. You know, get to the Capitol building, get a car, get to the bridge. Like all of these things are not only simple and understandable, but generally they're on the horizon. You know where to go and you, it, it becomes kind of your true north throughout the game which is why I think it can be, you know, a linear game, despite feeling much more natural in its environment. You know, you're always kind of subconsciously, you know which direction you're supposed to be heading. It's one of, like, the cooler, like, underlying mechanics of this game is, like, if you're on high ground or at the beginning of the map or of of, of the area or if there's, like, a... Um, an event or something the the tap l3 to look yeah it, and like it just shows you like far off in the distance like where you're going or what the objective is or how how you're supposed to approach something or what the what the attention in that moment actually is and i love that i think that that is fantastic and more games should do that because like you said it reinforces that that idea of like that singular goal like just imagine if like we were in god of war and you were down where the mountain was and you were down where the at the base of the mountain and to click a button and, and Kratos would just turn and look up at like the mountain and it's mm-hmm. like that would add I feel like that would add something to that game. And I wish more games would do little things, not maybe not that specifically, but things like that. No, I agree. And I think that's like I'm glad this game doesn't have any kind of compass or mini map or anything like that. Like you have to rely on that sort of awareness. And I think maybe that's part of why I remember a lot of scenes about this game that I don't with a lot of other games, you know, where your attention is constantly drawn towards like the top left corner of your screen, just watching like, you know, your objective marker, your, or just, you know, mm-hmm. seeing a, a, a representation of your character getting closer from point A to point B. And unfortunately that happens a lot with a lot of open world games. Um, does where they can look incredible, but how much are you really paying attention to it? Yeah, for sure. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should be paying attention because guess what? You're sucking shit in Philadelphia now, my friend. Uh. Listen, post-apocalypse or post-apocalypse or pre-apocalypse, literally no one wants to be stuck in Philadelphia. You really don't. I don't care how sunny it is. It still sucks <laughs> it's- ass. It's a bad time pretty much from the beginning. Um I I really love the first half in particular in in Philadelphia because like for a zombie game there's not a lot of zombies in this seg- section. You know, it's it's sort of you know, you're dealing with these reavers, um these roaming bands of like questionably cannibalistic uh gangs that have taken over the city um and trying to fight your way through their defenses um the sort of narrative like arc throughout this whole thing is this confrontation with a tank that they've put together 
Um, and you know, at first you're, you're running from it. It has you on the heels. There's a lot of really good action segments of getting through the buildings without getting shot, which never happens for me because I suck shit at games and immediately takes me out of the like, <laughs> storytelling. Cause I think if Joel took, takes one of those bullets, he's probably done. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Bullets fine from a tank. Can I just pause here? Like this replaying this, this is one of the things that stood out to me and I, I don't remember this being, I remember feeling the same way regardless of which version I played of this game. Like, Dead Space and this game, both, had this, like, third-person view for your character. And when you're mm-hmm. running as these characters, there's, like, a weight to the way your yeah. character runs that, like, you feel it. Like, you feel the weight of your character while you're moving. And other games don't capture that. You're just, like, swift like a bunny in other games, and you're just and it, it works to your advantage. But, like... And like I said, in Dead Space, and obviously we'll stick talking about Last of Us, there's like a a thump to like every step and like the camera, the way it like shakes and moves back and forth, almost like with your character's shoulders, like just right. feels so goddamn satisfying. <laughs> and, and when you get hit and there's like the, the stop and like have to like mm. rest for like a split second before you could take another step after taking a bullet, like little things like that are like, obviously I've never taken a bullet before, but I can imagine that if I was getting shot at and a bullet went through my leg or my arm, I'm going to stop even if I'm still getting shot at. You probably need a five. I'd need a five. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fair. I might fall over mentally, you know, just take, take a breather and just be like, okay, I'm just, if I die, I die, whatever. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no, I think that's a really good point. Um, because the game is generally like pretty responsive. Um, but during those running segments, it feels like you've lost a little bit of control in the momentum of your character. And I think that works to the effect that they're trying to, to present where, you know, you're basically just barely holding on as you're barreling yeah. through all these buildings. Well, well, you know, somebody with a 50 cal is just like mowing down from from window to window. Yeah, and I, I think that this this point of the game serves as like a really strong juxtaposition between how the rest of the game is, you know, it's like, like you said, it's like you're, you go from stealthing and using the quietness and, you know, the, the sharp curvature to, to the environment, to your advantage, to it being the exact opposite to, to running and having to like uh, corners be damned because I can't round this area. I got to actually get around a curb before I can get shot. I don't know how many times right. you know, I would got shot because I didn't round a corner fast enough at this part. But like, mm. I love that aspect of it to where it's like, Hey, guess what? Nothing changed in this game except how quickly you're, you're having to respond. And I, I guess it just opened up, opens up the idea that like the versatility and gameplay and the types of situations that you're in, it just like like we talked about before. It's not that there's a bunch of different enemy types. It's the enemies in the environment and where they're placed and the types of situations that you're placed in with these enemies that open up the game as a variety and make it more natural feeling. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I think part of it is that a lot of these environments feel grounded in realism where these mm. seem like patrol routes that would exist. These seem like natural sort of places for people to like conglomerate. Um, you know, when you see them talking in groups, 
you know, it's it's not quite like yeah, I, I I'm gonna contrast it with um the Arkham City games, which I know is not completely fair because that's a comic book, but you know, all those this is the second those bad guys. reference you've made. You get three every episode. <laughs> and I know, I know. I'm I'm running out of them. But you know, in Arkham City, all the bad guys are standing around and they just talk about like, man, I can't wait to kill something. It's gonna be so sweet when I kill Batman. <laughs> like that's all they talk about all the time. It's nuts. <laughs> and in this game, it's like it's you know. I think the enemies are a little bit creepier because their dialogue is much more natural. You know, they're talking about like, man, I'm so sick of these patrol routes. It's so boring. Nothing ever happens out of here. <laughs> um, you know, I, yeah, I've got some food stocked up. Do you want to trade later? Shit like that. Where like they're surviving the same way you kind of are. I mean, they're, they're still shitty and they're killing people, but I, they feel much more human. What what I love about this what about about this game is that like obviously in the real world there are people who have to struggle with food and water every day. I and I'm very sorry if you know people listening are in that situation. That absolutely sucks ass. Um I don't wish that upon anyone. But my point being is is we're comparing a post apocalyptic world to when we're putting ourselves in these shoes where the, I'm lucky enough to not have to deal with those types of situations. When you're putting ourselves in the, these shoes, they're dealing with like this apocalypse. How, like, esoteric that topic is to us, and how it makes you feel like when you're playing this game, like you don't. We don't have to experience that. We don't even understand that. And like, mm -hmm. but it's such a it's such a common issue that like whenever you're playing through this as Joel just goes to show how connected you are to this character. You don't even blink. You don't even think twice about those those types of situations. And because yeah. you just, that's what Joel's going through as well. Like, is this something everyone here goes through? So I, I love that. Like just to, to touch on like listening to the dialogue of other people when they don't know that you're around, it's, it just feels so they're just people. Doing mm -hmm. what they they were told to do, and it almost makes you wonder, like, you know, like Tess said, are you guys doing the right thing? Like, obviously they're going to kill you. It's it's them or us, you know. So we're going to mow right. them down. But at the end of the day, kind of that's kind of shitty. <laughs> yeah. Look, none of this is great. Um, and I I think these guys in particular are like fairly brutal so you feel less bad about it but they do get some moments of like you know this is an actual community of some fucked up kind or another um and you are mowing them down just to make your way through it um That's a, there's another I'm, I'm glad you actually brought that up because like saying like and you kind of alluded to it before like the are they cannibals are they not cannibals like there's a lot of those like obviously they're <laughs> there's cannibals in this game a little later on um but there's a lot of parts of this game and we'll talk about this way later in the story but a lot of parts of this game where the game does a good job of like just from the context or how people are talking or like just the words that they use or the inflections that they put on the voices of the voice acting like you it is heavily implied what this these people's intentions are or what they want or what they do without actually saying it. Yeah. But. Yeah. 
And that's like that goes to the main cast too, right? There's a lot of unspoken shit um, between characters um, that I, I think is really powerful, and I think rewards a lot of multiple playthroughs. Even if the gameplay doesn't evolve all that much from playthrough to playthrough, there's little shit I think you pick up on um, in the story, and the characters are rich enough to support multiple multiple playthroughs. For sure. Um, so we end up meeting Sam and Henry. Sam and Henry, uh, <laughs> oof. big, yeah, big old oof. I think that this, um, this kind of comes as a warning across the bow about what you're risking when you get close to somebody. Obviously. Sam and Henry are a reflection of Joel and Ellie. You know, they're a a guardian and a younger person, and they are making their way on their destination together. Obviously, like, Sam and Henry are much closer than Joel and Ellie are at this point, but it's pretty clear that's where the story's heading. Um, And the way that things shake out for them, I think, is a a reminder to Joel of what the risk is for, for getting invested. Um, and how much is on the line, the closer he gets to LA. Um, yeah, I agree. It's obviously that's the, like the, the crux of the point that's made with these characters, um, is like, there's a chance as you've started to open up to Ellie and getting closer and care for her, whether you want to admit it or not, that you could lose her. Yeah. And Joel knows that those calloused wounds that he's done so much to repress will just get ripped open. I mean, Mm -hmm. you start to get the vibe around this point of the game that he begins to care for her in the way that he, he feels like she's a daughter to him. Um, and man, what a, what a, this is another like heartbreaking point where, first of all, this is an important moment for Ellie because this is the first character in the game that you meet that Ellie feels like she can relate to in age. Yeah. They have some, they have things in common. There's a guardian mm-hmm. that's rough, tough around the edges, but does care for them. Um, they're both headstrong, both, um, Joel and is it Henry's the older one, right? Or no, Henry's the boy. Henry's the older one. No, Henry's Sam the one. is the okay. boy. Okay. So both Henry and Joel are, you know, they they don't trust each other, but they don't hate each other. Like they're they're both like on their guard against the other group. But yeah. then like Ellie and um Sam are like, you know, immediately they, they're just like pretty close, close to each yeah. other. So for the for that immediately to turn around and for him to get infected is what happens. And then mm-hmm. they have to, he has to kill. That's not even the heartbreaking part of this. This it's, it's, it's heavy. It's just such, it's heavy themes that just weigh on you and just imagine living this. It's, I used the word esoteric earlier as a way to define 
something that only a few people understand and and can appreciate. And mm-hmm. I, we playing these games as heavy as it is, can't even begin to grasp like the the true emotions. They're emotional for us, but imagine really putting yourself in the situation, having to gun down yeah. your own brother because he was dying anyway and didn't want to hurt anyone else. And it takes such a toll on him mm-hmm. that he takes his own life. Like, ah, man, it, it is some heavy, heavy shit. And it, thinking about that from Joel's perspective, it's it's tough because there's there's themes of the game where I feel like Joel doesn't have to deal with some of that type of loss with Ellie. And maybe there's like a a... a pseudo survivor's guilt that Joel feels and all that uh, because Ellie's infected but can't get yeah. the virus essentially like she she could get bit and like nothing would happen which I think actually ends up happening right so I don't know go on I'm I'm like rambling and I, I could dig into well, this no. game in a million ways that so what I what I liken this back to and I'm jumping ahead a little bit a little bit. I'm talking about the last scene of the game. <laughs> but one of the things that Joel says to Ellie is that when she's really wrestling with survivor's guilt is that like, no matter what, you have to keep finding something to fight for. Um, in this moment, Henry's wrestling with the fact that Sam was that thing for him. And the risk that comes with putting that on somebody else is when they're gone that was your whole motivation that was henry's entire thing was keeping sam safe um you know he couldn't deal you know that's the risk that i think joel is taking on when he starts to um take on ellie as as that motivation and by the way in an incredible acting moment and i know i'm jumping ahead but when he says that line to Ellie, like, you got to keep finding something to fight for, he touches his watch. Yeah. Wow. Holy, <laughs> holy shit. It is so fucking... It, okay. We'll, we'll get to it. But, um, you know, I think that's the first time that, like, those stakes have really been brought to the forefront of what it really means to, to place your entire reason for being on somebody else um so that's philadelphia and the, as is par for the course for philadelphia it sucks ass um yeah, I, I do want to before we jump on from that i think i wanted to add to that last point you just made the the leaning on someone else part mm. one of the themes here that i i think that they want to, to obviously they get across like the you know they're trying to build that the subtle meaning of Joel and Ellie's relationship. But with Sam and Henry, not only does it's not about the fact that Henry let Sam down is the fact that Henry killed his own brother to save him a little bit of grief, save his brother mm-hmm. from having to do it himself. That's a, that's a heavy, mo- there's so many emotions there, but on top of yeah. that, Henry wants to, he's searching desperately for someone to blame. 
in this, yeah. and he points the gun at Joel, and mm-hmm. whenever he he eventually just in like a fit moment turns the gun on himself and kills himself. That moment alone, like I'm trying to put myself in this the shoes of Joel in that moment. I the game does not show you it jumps from the moment Sarah's death to 20 years later. Sure. This is this is a moment where all the emotions on Joel's face and my, re, my only my most yeah, excuse me. Only my most recent playthrough did I really stop and like really reflect on this. What were those 20 minutes, an hour, days, years, months after Sarah's mm-hmm. death like for Joel? Where you, you think it was Tommy that was the only person keeping him alive then? The yeah. world going to shit, his daughter had died. And then him to see someone that he cares about could see that losing that person, what that did to him and how he feels like the protector of someone in that similar fashion and that feeling that he watched himself yeah. f- watch someone fail to protect someone they cared about and it drove them to do that. Mm-hmm. And he had to see it. He was watching himself, what he wanted to do. And it just like, I can't, I can't even imagine being in that, that situation. Like the, yeah, this it, game you get a sense. forces you to fucking feel things that you don't want to feel. And it doesn't <laughs> stop at this game. It goes on no. all the way to the end of part two and I'll say it now, and then we'll talk about it later. That's the reason people don't like to, is because they can't handle it. And it starts here, and it's subtle. You have to dig for it. But that is so... Just imagine putting yourself in that situation that Joel just went through. Having to watch what he wanted to do to himself and live with the ramifications. you, You get a sense, I think, from this scene... You know, it's another building block, right? About how Joel ended up being the person that he is at the beginning of the game. About why he's so guarded and why he's so shut off from other people is because there is such a risk in forming these relationships. You know, Sam and Henry are pretty much the only people they've met on the road that they form any kind of bond with. You know, the beginnings of a friendship. There's a little bit of trust. And that puts them in incredible, like, you know, danger, huge amounts of danger. Um, it And things turn so quickly. You know, there's obviously emotional weight behind the scene. And there's also a, practic- a grim kind of practicality about keeping people at arm's length. Um, you know, a lot of this, I think, is is sort of unraveling like 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 you were saying i think you can extrapolate a lot about what joel's life was like before reaching this point from this scene yeah it's tough <laughs> like even even thinking about it and talking about it now it's like it's putting me on edge like mm-hmm. there's just, there's a lot to a lot to swallow in this game and i mean i, I would challenge anyone that you know if this if this like listening to the show is like you know amping you up for like re revisiting this 
try to try to think about those things while you're playing through this and like not only i'm not saying i want you to you know feel pain or emotional damage through any of this but like it really strengthens your relationship with joel and i think that i i think that in turn it will strengthen how you feel about ellie and allow you to you know have a stronger playthrough of part two as well because like again like i said before this is it's the same book just different pages yeah so absolutely and you know something that i think I'm, I'm sure people have picked up on this point is that we're talking in very very broad strokes about the gameplay and mostly about the story so if you're interested in this game you know and you're you know you don't think survivor survival horror is your gig or you know it's not your kind of game like it's fine you can play this at the lowest difficulty setting the emotional difficulty is always cranked up and that's where the weight's <laughs> going to come point. from. It's a really good point. <laughs> um, so you'd mentioned Tommy and we finally get to the point where we meet Tommy. Um, then the complex that he's sort of started to build a little bit. Um, and this is where I was a little, I was kind of struggling because obviously Tommy is so close to, to Joel, um, trying to figure out what was being like communicated about Joel in these scenes when he's reunited with his brother. Obviously, there's a contrast between how Tommy has built a, a community and a relationship and like the life that he's kind of living as compared to Joel, who's basically out there on his own as a kind of like, you know, as an animal, basically living day to day. I think grifter. Grifter yeah. is like the best way to describe well, what Joel's lifestyle. <laughs> I think drifter, a grifter is a guy who's like, you know, cheating people out of money, I think. Right. Well, that's what I mean. Like someone who's oh, like yeah. a swindler. Not be, not. I don't mean that in the sense that like he's legitimately stealing, but like he's doing absolutely everything he needs whether it is I see what you mean. stealing and just doing yeah. what he needs to just get what he ne needs and wants yeah yeah there there's Cause, a cause lot of him, like do him and tess need a million weapons not really no but they're cheating and swindling and doing what they need to do to get it <laughs> so. pretty good point pretty good point <laughs> yeah and tommy lives a life that like doesn't really have to take in those kind of considerations anymore or it allows him like some sort of emotional life that that joel's joel can't afford yeah. um you know as you meet up with tommy and you're you're walking through like the beginnings of this community that he's building there's a lot of really small moments that i think um are really effective like joel reached out and and scratched at a dog i forget the dog's name but the dog has a name that's something that should <laughs> that feels completely fucking foreign to everything else that we've gone through in this life that you know you can keep a dog on this property and it's just a pet you know yeah um, that's a good point it's a huge amount of contrast um so tommy joel wants to effectively like he's reached this point and he wants to hand Ellie off to Tommy. Tommy has been a part of the Fireflies before. We're delivering Ellie to the Fireflies. Um, he knows the area better. 
on paper, it makes sense. And this is, I think, a, a sort of emotional crux to the story. And I don't know. It, it might be the moment I think about the most from this game. Because um, Ellie catches wind that Joel is going to pass her off to Tommy. She freaks out. She freaks out, um, bails off of the property, and, and finds a farmhouse to hold up in. Um, there's a kind of phoned-in action sequence on your way there, but you finally make it there. <laughs> I I like the the whole scene when you arrive at this like water or energy water facility hydro plant yeah or whatever it's called. I like mm-hmm. the scene a lot. It's like it's hopeful. There's a lot of dis- elements of like discovery and a fun to it. Like when you first get there and the little puzzle to get in and all that, all that kind of stuff. It's, it's interesting because uh, there's yeah. no enemies. It's just, it's just fun. And then when you get in, uh, you, you were talking about trying to like wrap your arms around like what the, the elements of the, the game that it's wanting you to, the game is really trying to subtly get out with Joel's character. But I, I already think that you, you sort of hit it on the head is that, Joel is with the scene we just had. Joel is coping with the idea that it doesn't matter whether she can get bit or not. There is nothing good that can come out of this relationship. He will lose something. So if he makes the effort to hand her Mm -hmm. off to Tommy and does it and can get out, then he's, he's successfully dodged his wounds being reopened. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say that this this is pretty well informed by the fact that this is where we get that scene where Tommy tries to hand back that picture of um, Joel and Sarah. And like, you don't have an option as to what Joel does with it. He is always going to reject it. And I think that gives you a sense of how far Joel still has to come. Like, Mm -hmm. there is shit he is still not able to cope with um so yeah i think you're right that's that's part of why you know in the same way that he's handing sarah back to to tommy he's also trying to hand off ellie before that that becomes you know a a wound for him yeah i i think it's crucial to note that you know joel never mentions that he's like this is the plan. I'm taking you to Tommy. I'm dropping you off, and isn't like super calloused about it because, because he doesn't want it. Like we yeah. all know that Joel like want he wants the best for Ellie, um, but I think this also serves as a good point for Ellie. In the and maybe if he had mentioned it subtly, it might have changed things. And obviously, we'll never know. But in my head, I think that if he had went into this. And Tommy was just like another firefly, another part of the mission. Then there would have mm-hmm. been an easier transition and an easier handoff. But I think whenever you get in there and Tommy comes out and greets Joel and hugs Joel, I think yeah. that's the moment where Ellie makes the decision that it is not okay that he leaves me because there is a human element to this guy. Like he can care. And I know he does care. Look at him embracing his brother after years of not being able to not seeing him. Like I, I felt the care from this guy and look what he's capable of. And yeah. 
to get to get that emotional connection in that moment and then to turn right around instantly and for her to hear I'm leaving you and goodbye the rejection that she feels like that's what's happening like she she had the connection that's a him. really good point and then she gets rejected and then she's like fuck this like any other teenager would yeah. do or any human would do rightfully so they just they feel dejected and they want out at, at the expense of their own well-being yeah i think that's an incredible point i hadn't really thought about it, but you're right ellie sees in this moment that joel is not a lost cause he's able to form bonds with other people and why isn't that happening with her and this is also a, the moment where ellie learns about sarah um and i think this is where like all of the pieces sort of fall into place for her where she's able to crack what is actually happening with joel and this is like you know i think this is the the quote unquote breaking point in their relationship is that confrontation of mm. of ellie you know really holding joel's feet to the fire and and pushing him to you know admit why he is the way that he is like um she's the first person to bring up sarah to him and he still tries to shut it down but the the door sort of open at that point um yeah i, I don't know. 100% i mean this is this is one of the the lines in the game that just like sticks with everyone i mean i still remember it off the top of my head the you're not my daughter and i sure as hell yeah. ain't your dad and we are going our yeah. separate ways like mm -hmm. it just the delivery of that line is just like like it it, it hits you yeah. but the this had to happen and this mm -hmm. is why i think that this had to happen whenever she peels back that layer and Joel is so repulsed by how he feels that he lashes out on Ellie. If Ellie had approached him and said, I'm sorry for running off and I'll respect all of your wishes, la 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 la, nothing would have mm -hmm. changed and they would have went back and it would have, nothing would have happened. But because that happened when they finally fight their way back out of the ranch and head back to the dam, it forces Joel to think about his past and what he lost. But also, I think it's in that moment because of what's happened with Tommy and being reunited while they were, even though they argued, tossed back and forth with what, you know, what to do with Ellie, that the door reopened for that relationship a little bit. Ellie forced Joel to think about how he felt about his daughter, which reinforced yeah. how he felt about Ellie. And then he arrives to the conclusion on his own and tells Tommy, this is my responsibility. I'm taking Ellie yeah. all the way. And mm -hmm. I fucking love that. Like, it's like, they're, it's like this isn't a video game. It's like it's a real fucking story. It's like a book. It's yeah. like, a, like a, a complete nonfiction. It is so fucking good. Like, and then you, could I, you could tear this apart 10 different ways and come up with a million different reasons for, for what he does. It's so good. No, absolutely. These are such well-developed characters. They have internal lives. They have, like, you know, shit that's boiling under the surface that may be self, you know, like, subconscious. I'm sure that what Joel is doing 
is, you know, full on survival mode. And I don't think he's consciously trying to push people away. It's just the way that he's learned to survive. Um, you know, I think it's, it's telling that Ellie has to be the one who's emotionally vulnerable with him in that scene and say that like everyone who's ever been with me has either died or left me like, except for you. It's, I think the push that Joel needs to recognize that he's like needed, he has a responsibility. And I think that that is a huge changing point in their relationship. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it, it all comes at the, I should say at default, I should, I should more, use the more, the word effect It all is the effect of, I, I guess a culmination of all the things that are happening. Obviously Ellie's push, like I said, is probably the most effective thing, but I, I have to think that like, because of the relationship with Tommy and how, mm -hmm how that opens Joel up to just feeling a little bit more comfortable and having someone that he relies on and can support also saying, no, this is, this is good for you. Like, this is, this is good. I feel like you're yeah. ready for this. Like just mm -hmm. subtly, he doesn't come out and say it just like that, but like more or less that's what's going on. And I had to feel like that's, you know, a subconsciously the push that made him receptive to hearing because we've seen other scenes in this game where, you know, Joel just straight up shuts down any notion of dealing with these emotions. And this is the first, yeah. I think this is the crack in the armor that, you know, that pushes Joel to be a better person. So it's the first time that we see him do something that isn't strictly practical too. Mm -hmm. um, it probably does make more sense for Ellie to go with Tommy. Tommy knows the area better. Tommy does know the fireflies and has an in with them. But Joel has a, a responsibility at this point. You know, that, that bond is too strong. Um, you know, I, I think it shows a shift in his priorities from what is strictly what is best for me to what is best for the both of us, um, for Ellie. Like, and that's, that's huge. That is that is like you're right. That is that is the first break in the armor of of Joel becoming a better person. I agree. All right, we've kind um, of beat that area to death. So yeah, <laughs> right. Anyway, so, though, there. I, honestly, we could talk about that for another thirty minutes. I bet there's a, there is a lot to unpack. In it's this. true. Like I say in every episode. I mean, if we're missing things. I bring it to the Discord. Let's talk about it because this is one I could I could talk about for days, <laughs> for sure, for sure. Um, this is going to be another area that we kind of like, you know, we'll get the highlights of this area. But I want to talk about the transition between um, the university and the the next segment of the game, um, where Joel, having had his you know emotional catharsis is uh rewarded with a piece of rebar through a kidney which is not great <laughs> yeah i I'm not great is probably you know overselling it you know it sucks I think but so. whatever <laughs> i fucking love this segment of gameplay after joel has taken a tumble at the university 
and now roles have completely reversed and Joel is completely reliant on Ellie. Um, it is such like a good example of depowering the player. Like, you know, your yes. actions yes. as Joel are so like belabored and heavy. You can't aim well. Like, you know, um, you're put in a room with one guy who's bearing down on you and normally this wouldn't be an issue, but now this is a huge threat. Um, it does such a, like such a quick reversal of, of the relationship between Joel and Ellie, where Ellie is the one who has to take lead and take point. She's the one who has to flank enemies. Like it makes you rely on her and that shifts their like dynamic. And, you know, one, it closes the bond between the two. Um, or, you know, that bond becomes closer. And two, you, you have to respect her more that she can absolutely take care of herself and you. Um, it's, it's, it's great shit. This, this is my all in moment in this game since we're, yeah. we're here. Um, like you said, there, there is no, I, I love those words. So I'll just steal it. The empower or depowering the character. There is mm -hmm. no better example of doing that. You know, you could play Metroid and get depowered at the beginning a million times, but it never will feel as good as, as this. Right. Um, we've talked about it, you know, six or seven times now in the air where it's the enemy placements and the environments that you're in. And this is another classic example where nothing feels like it's the game is shifting for the sake of being Ellie's part versus Joel's part. It just feels like something Joel would have had to do. And now you just have to be more creative or you have to handle it differently being as Ellie. It's, it's so natural. It's such a, a wonderful transition shift, but now, especially the the moment that the game gives you this, because mm. at at this precise moment you just went through this really emotional toil, and you're coming a couple hours of gameplay have probably passed since you went to the university and all of that, but it's still pretty fresh with how Joel and Ellie feel. There's no big all out fight between the two of them or discussion. So the last big moment would be that conversation where Joel agrees and you yeah. get that, you know, that connection we talked about. And then when Joel gets shoved over the, the edge and lands on the rebar and now there's this and which mm -hmm. I love this, the shift in transition too. It's not just like a, okay, well I'm going to go out and it's this, there's like this, this fade to where it's like, there's been a, a couple days, maybe some time where they found shelter. Honestly, I think the seasons change. I mean, it went from fall to winter here. So Joel's yeah. like, in recovery not just like sick in a bed for a day like he's in recovery um yeah it's a it's a gentle kind of handoff of the gameplay from joel to ellie um you know this this segment between the university and joel being in dire straits to taking over as ellie at the beginning of of winter um it's it's really well done i I'll be, I'll, I'll admit the first time through, I was not sure whether or not Joel was dead or not at the, at the beginning of winter. I don't know how you felt at that point. Well, you, I mean, you just don't know. I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's, it's like, you don't know how much time has passed. You're somewhere mm. where there's snow on the ground. Ellie yeah. 
it's not that she looks more grown up. It's that she feels more grown up and you're like more deliberate yeah. with her actions. She's not just following you around. You are playing this character. So there's a there's a sense of like innate maturity that the game instills in the character. So like the whole time you're like, where's Joel? What's going on? So yeah, right. I, mean, I didn't I didn't think he was dead, but I was it was in the back of my head that it was a distinct possibility that like shit, he's just gone. So. And up until this point, they've built a world where that feels possible. You know, all the shit yeah. we've seen with Sam and Henry, we could see as foreshadowing that this is how that's going to go eventually. Um, so, yeah, like this, I, I, it is one of the most effective story beats I think I've ever seen is, is that transition from the end of fall into the winter chapter when all of a sudden, without context, you're Ellie on her own with the horse chasing down a deer which the first time i did it i sucked shit at and did not realize how like carefully you have to move <laughs> i think that was everybody because like you said uh, you're joel you're this big clunky dude you're just like right you know you should probably just jump and tackle the deer and <laughs> just take it down and now you gotta be quiet and strategic and mm. i felt i the game makes you feel like you're bad at it i think on purpose which Maybe that's cool true. So, yeah. But it's weird, because, like, working your way through a horde of 50 dudes and then being outsmarted by a deer, like, four times in a row. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm pretty fucking stupid. So. That's, a, yo, yeah, no. I just have two brain cells rattling around. But, um, uh, so this is going to be the last of the, like, partner NPCs that we get in this game. Um, is is Ellie meeting Ethan? Ethan is such a good fucking character. <laughs> um, Ellie uh, chases down this deer and is confronted with two other people from what seems like another community. Um, two adults, and there's a confrontation between the two about who's going to take this deer. Um, while they're sort of negotiating that. They're confronted by a bunch of zombies. So Ellie um, and this guy, Ethan, have to work together to sort of get their way out of it. Um, I think Ethan is kind of like... He's a reflection of Joel in a way because Ellie starts to trust and rely on him a little bit. But... Uh, this is sort of like, you know, what if Joel was not a good person? Um, and I think Ellie starts to realize, like, how lucky she is that she ended up with Joel, you know, was it, as opposed to... Was it Ethan? I thought Ethan was later on. Was it David and James were the name of the two people? Oh, that... was it David? You're right. I, I apologize. I think it might be David. Ethan is uh, Ethan is the other guy that's with David. That's why I'm getting this confused. Okay. Um, uh, well, he's the guy that comes later, right? Because there's David and James are the two, two I think, are the two right. guys that show up at the cabin. You're right. And then Ethan, I think, is the guy who works in the, like, butchery or something. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's David. My bad. Um. Anyway, David's a great character. <laughs> no, I agree. I think... It's just like you said, 
No more Mr. Nice NPCs. Everyone's a mm. shitlord from here on out. But that's a good transition. Because, man, he works hard to get Ellie to trust him. Yeah. Like, real hard. <laughs> and, like, you almost kind of do. You have to rely on him. Like, there's mechanical reliances, right? Because you have to rely on David for ammo and shit while you're, like, fighting off, like, these waves of zombies. Um, He has a rifle with unlimited ammo and, like, is, is a good support <laughs> character. Must be nice. <laughs> but yeah, what must that be like? He has unlimited um, ammo like any other NPC until you kill them and there's three bullets left in the gun. <laughs> what the fuck is that shit about? <laughs> anyway, it's like there's there's a mechanical re- reason to for Ellie to rely on him at the beginning and to, to sort of trust him. Like, I think it's clear at the very beginning that David recognizes how smart Ellie is and like respects her a lot i think at the beginning um this will eventually be used against her <laughs> but that that first scene is like it it's really insidious how like accommodating he is he's willing to give her a lot of the benefit of the doubt um in in that exchange between the deer and medicine like David is absolutely willing to like give her the upper hand in that, despite having a pistol on him that that Ellie doesn't know yeah. about. Yeah, for sure. Because it's like it's like a backhanded compliment almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, sure, I'll give you my rifle, but then when she he pulls out the pistol, it's like, yeah, you see, I'm smarter than you. Like mm-hmm. in that in that kind of regard, like you should have checked. But I'm also yeah. it's using it as a way to like manipulate her. Like I could have pulled this out and shot you because you thought I didn't have a gun. Like mm-hmm. it's it's smart. The game is really intelligent in this aspect. It shows that like these people aren't just stupid. They've been in situations where they have to to fight for their life before. And this is a good example right. of how even though they're the not the good guys yet, or you don't know whether they're good or bad in this situation. It shows again that they have a background. They know they are intelligent beings. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, most definitely. Um, this obviously, I mean, this relationship shifts, obviously, and these people <laughs> try to come after Ellie and kidnap her effectively and bring her back to this, this commune where we find out that this sort of community is uh, is made up of cannibals, which is super fucked up. Oh, dude, sick. Up. Yeah. Oh, great. <laughs> hey, um, you know what? I mean, if you're into mushrooms, I mean, this is the time of... <laughs> this is the time to be a cannibal. So. I guess that's a, gr- that's a good point, I suppose. Uh, that was a terrible um, joke. I'm really sorry. I, I'm just going to go. <laughs> <laughs> There's always one in every episode where we're just like, all right, bye. <laughs> you know what? It's generally me, so I'm pretty happy about this. <laughs> That's fair, I guess. Because um, so, well, Ellie wakes up in a cage. gets She gets knocked out because uh, yep. David ends up chasing her. Um, and she wakes up in the cage, and it's James that's standing there butchering the body in front of her. Mm-hmm. And then David's like all creepy and is like you need to be good or i'll let you out yeah you know, and this is this is another example of where i was talking about 
where the game starts to heavily imply something that it never goes out of its way to say. So, yeah, there, there's the creepiness rises quite a bit. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and then Ellie so we'll talk about fucking finger. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's um, it's cool because it's like these these things are, you know, they're subtle in people. Like, it's not just like, hey, I'm David. I'm a child molester. Like, they never mm. go out and, like, it. you don't have to signpost it like that. This is another example of how just the, the smooth mannerisms and the, the, the undertones of the way that they talk are just so telling for the intentions of these things. That's something you don't get a lot in most even narrative video games. For sure. And I think you can also see, like, how much um, of David's character changes based on the power dynamic between the two. How he talks mm. to Ellie in the cage is very different than how he talks to her when, like, you know, she's got a, bun, a bow and arrow trained on him. Um, yeah. You know, there's there's a difference in his performance that I think is is subtle, but it is there. Where the more he starts to take charge, the more you realize how what a fucked up weirdo he is. Yeah. I, I think, like, when if you're, like, playing this game and you're just like, wow, kudos to, like, the voice actor for Joel for like conveying those emotions and things like that, like more power to you. Cause like, obviously those are incredible moments, but like characters like this, like add a creepy factor to the game and add a uncomfortable factor to the game that like make you feel things that you don't want to feel. Like obviously yeah. no one wants to feel the pain of death and loss, but like you really don't want to feel like you're playing as a child and like you're getting vibes that like this person is mm. after you, whether it be to eat you or yeah. do something that's just unspeakable. You don't want to deal with that. And this game forces you to through the eyes of that character that's having to deal with it. And it is so powerful. Absolutely. And I think even then, even in like the midst of this nightmare scenario of it, you being an escapee in like a, 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 you know, cannibal collective um, where people are on the hunt for you. Um, the last of us still refuses to like make these people feel like caricatures or like, you know, just generic evil bad guys. Once you break out, you can like listen in on a conversation between two people where they talk about like, they're freaked out. David's rung the alarm bell. Let's get all the women and kids out of this area and then we'll start doing patrols. Like, there's there's some kind of a weird civilization here. It's fucked up and scary, but, you know, <laughs> even at this point, the game is unwilling to just let them be generic bad guys. You know? Yeah, they've for sure. They've become, like everybody else, they've become who they are to survive. Yeah. Like you said, I mean, every down to the last random ass villain that you find has like this there's a weight to every punch the the look in their eyes especially in like the remake it's just it's incredible like everyone feels like there was there's value in that life like it's just it's just awesome it's really cool yeah yeah it is um so at this point we get maybe like this is the only quote unquote boss battle of the game um is Ellie and David 
how did you how did you feel about this moment? <sighs> well, I died a lot my first, sure. first time playing this this part. And, and same. Um, Dude, I tried to sprint through it this time and I was not doing well. Oh no. Like and we're talking about the mur- the burning building, right? Yes. This part. Okay. Yep. So All right. So first of all, I want to back up a little bit because I feel like it because there's like a portion of this that I've like is going to rely on this other portion. So sure. uh Joel had got his antibiotics. Right. That Ellie had, had coerced from those guys. And then she left. Mm-hmm. And that's where he's at. So while she's in this fight trying to survive, which I'll get to in a minute, Joel has since woken up, has tracked people down, beaten the shit out of them, found out where Ellie's location is in this camp. And during this fight is working his way through, like you said, hearing these conversations and slowly taking out all these people that are like the guardians of this like little civilization they have trying desperately mm-hmm. to find Ellie. And it, dude, it's, it's like a, a revenge story and a half. Like it's, it's fucking brutal and it's so cool just playing through here. And it's like, it, there is absolutely no fucks given about any of the lives of these people. Regardless there's a, there's a real catharsis. They, yeah. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, so back to back to Ellie. So like having known that like the first time I played this, I was like, okay, where's Joel? Where's Joel? When's Joel's gonna come up? I yeah. I I feel like the first time I played it, I wasted too much time wondering, like thinking it was like a timed battle. Like I had sure. thought I had fought this guy so many times, or I've been in encounters with this guy so many times that like I don't feel like I can actually beat him in this moment. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like there was, you just got to run out the clock. Out, yeah. Run out the, yeah, so, exactly. So it was nice playing this again because it gave me a, a kind of a fresh perspective on this, this boss battle. Um, just not something you see in games often, because not only do you have to like hurt this guy, you have to avoid him and mm-hmm. outsmart him in a, in like a battle of like almost wits in a way, because yeah. like you, you play the whole game, like, like you said, throwing the bottles and throwing the bricks and in situations like this, it's like, now you're in like the opposite end of the spectrum. You're at to trick him and, uh, avoid like the glass while the fire is closing in and some areas become less accessible. So this is another area when I was playing it that really was hard not using listen mode. So sure. like super difficult. Um, but outside of the mechanics of this area, like there's dude, such an emotional weight. This battle Oof. has like here playing as like this young girl with this guy who, you know, we've, we've all but said what, what's going on at this point. You can't tell, whether he's after her in a, a grotesque mm-hmm. sexual manner or uh, trying to eat her or what, or both. Like, you just don't yeah. know what his intentions are. But regardless, like, Ellie's mind is like an overdrive and she's becoming more and more scared, which is hardening her. And I think mm. this is so crucial for Ellie's development because she becomes like this 
because of this, she becomes a little more like Joel. She starts to understand who Joel is as a, as a person because of her encounter in this situation. Like you said at the beginning of this episode, she's, she didn't have to go through everything everyone else did, but she yeah. still acted like she'd seen it all. But right. being put in situations where someone wants to kill you, someone wants to violate you, someone wants to literally dismantle your body and eat you, all for the sake of only a small amount of pleasure that won't do anything but satisfy them for a small moment, regardless of which capacity you're speaking in. Mm-hmm. That's probably the first time she's had to feel that. Yeah. And it's just another element that I feel like in the moments while you're playing this, like desperately trying to outsmart David mm-hmm. in this in this burning building, like it's just it's taking away her sanity. And then when you finally get that last hit, is like it's just like a freeing moment. And then oh man, whenever she finally gets back with Joel, it's like, it's, dude, it, there's so many taxing moments in this game and that is just that is one of them that's a huge one her first words back you know when joel finally catches up with her when she's in the middle of you know um dealing with david with a machete like her first words are don't fucking touch me yeah like they're the dynamic has shifted a lot um and you get a sense of how much her trust in people is completely eroded you know this is like it it's it changes her i think fundamentally um you know and it's it's something that she's going to be wrestling with through the end of this game and and sets up a lot of the conflict in part 2 i think a lot of I that agree. a lot of that stems from this moment um i love the symbolism pss- with the machete in this moment like Throughout this entire game, like, obviously there's been, like, battles, brawls, but this is the only time that you see Ellie leave blood behind. She leaves her weapon behind. And Mm. it's just such a strong telling that, like, even though, yes, David's dead and she left the machete planted there in his head, there's her bloody handprint on it. And then she's... Ellie left a part of herself there with David. Yeah. Part that she'll never get back. And it is it is so powerful seeing things like that in these games and seeing how it carries on through, you know, the rest of these stories. Like, I know this is so cliche to say, but like these these stories are like they're not just like video games. These are like. We should remember these lessons, (laughs) like remember the things that happen in these games because they're just so fucking profound. And like you yeah. can learn so much if you just stop and read into these situations and read into like the development and the the thought and the process of like whether it be the game mechanics or just the story. Like there's so much to ingest and like just feel. Like I don't, I don't know. I'm just no. What's wild about this? I think is no. I think it's the amount of restraint that this game shows. You know that it understands how powerful images like that can be of like, you know, just a handprint on a machete handle. Um, you don't need a lot in the script for that. You know, there, there's, I don't know, some, something stupid, like 600,000 words in Skyrim and 
none of that shit has moved me one iota as much as <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> yeah i mean i i agree I, now i will say this i'll just jump just to progress the conversation a little bit but it just goes hand in hand of course, with yeah. this um ellie's character obviously just went through the fucking ringer and mm-hmm. you know regardless of how you know she, she went from being don't fucking touch me and just being like so much on sensory overload that she's just not accepting of Joel at all to to breaking down and then they walk away together like hand in hand yeah. in that moment just because she's like okay I'm finally finally safe and it's like a release and like I said before, Ellie left a little bit of herself there, and it definitely changed her. Like you said, the conflict continues all the way on, um, and the, the emotions that she carries for the rest of her life from that moment continue. Mm-hmm. I love the next scene because the next scene we it's there's a transition here to spring, mm-hmm. and where they're at the hospital, and um, you know, there's a bunch of stuff where they're moving through the decaying, you know, the bus stations and the abandoned cars and. Um, Ellie like scampers off and then they see this is the giraffe scene like this is like one of the one of the most wonderful moments in this game and I think it's so crucial that they put this here not because that it's a even because it's like an emotional palate cleanser but because I think that the animals here and what happens here is a representation and it allows Joel to get a better understanding of who Ellie is and what he needs to do and who or who she's becoming I should say and she I know this sounds like super super cliche but it's so at this point he just watched her go through this trauma and Mm. he's probably been very you know, reserved and bringing that up and, you know, trying to hold her back. And then she sees these animals that they comment that, hey, they must have broken out of this zoo and no one really, you know, they don't go into it any more than that. But that's kind of a difficult thing. They're probably in this enclosure and probably live pretty mm-hmm. comfortably for, you know, a few years. But El- there's like a a lot of symbolism between how Ellie is feeling and the idea that these wild animals – that were kept captive and became tamed have now broken free and are just roaming and discovering who they are and are now free to rediscover themselves. And Joel, I think in this moment is seeing this. And while I don't think that they put a lot of narrative weight into like him being like, Oh my God, like that, that's a metaphor. I think that as a, as a character, like watching her and letting her discover this and, you know, ooing and awing over these creatures is a way that Joel can is connecting with Ellie and realizing like, you know, she's she's free to make her own decisions and I need to let her emotionally come to terms with whatever it is she's dealing with and just let her be free. Yeah. Because all these things that she's just been caged up and is now having the ability to deal with and, you know, just I loved the scene because it had a lot of uh, like I said, it was a, it was definitely a palate cleanser, but it also had like an awe moment for me. Like it was cool because it was just so shocking. You don't see stuff like this in video games mm-hmm. very often. It's like, hey, I'm playing this zombie game. I'm gonna go pet a giraffe now. Right. Like, <laughs> and I think it. You know, like I think you're right. There is you know a 
a um a lot of metaphorical weight to the scene but there's also a narrative one and part of the reason where i think it feels kind of natural is that it it feels like you know a a parent child scene where joel is kind of showing ellie something cool about the world um and even in like this incredibly fucked up place that they find themselves you know there's still like these kind of moments of of wonder um and you're right it's not often that video games take a quiet moment um where i think a lot of them even with a very short runtime feel like they constantly have to keep you like engaged 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 and the problem is when you do that when all of your action is so constant throughout that becomes your baseline and it's impossible to like you can't ramp this ramp the stakes up if you're going 100% all the time you know what i mean yeah 100% changing tempos allowing these kind of quiet character moments i think is really something that sets games like the last of us apart yeah um, I, well i think this moment alone is like it was designed obviously as that like the change in that tempo but i think it's perfect because like not only does the game do this but like the actions the characters take as a result of these quiet moments makes it feel just so natural i mean they're sitting here in this moment and like this like you said this father-daughter moment and she's learning a little bit about herself he's learning a little bit about her Mm -hmm. and joel and that quiet moment takes the opportunity to be like reflecting on how peaceful this is yeah rightfully comes to the conclusion hey we could we don't go back and live with tommy we could just (laughs) go home and Mm -hmm. you know live a peaceful life at the dam and you know yeah i I love that that was the result of that like quiet moment like why does this have to slip away like he's he wants those peaceful times with with ellie so yeah yeah and yeah it's great like the ellie has a line at the end of that scene where joel gives her that option and ellie says like it it can't all be for nothing this whole journey that it's been on yeah and like it's pretty powerful too <laughs> right and you understand where she's coming from but you also understand where joel's coming from because it hasn't been for nothing for him like he's he has a family now um and that's enough for him that's enough for him to like pack it in and go home um ellie i think needs a little bit more and we'll get into that in the last scene um so there's only one more real like a zombie sequence through one tunnel and it sucks shit and i don't want to talk about it <laughs> oh is this the one with like the really dark area with like 60 fucking cordyceps like yeah all of, there's like the big boomer dudes there's just three bloaters walking around and look it sucks ass and i've tried to stealth it every time and eventually it just ends up with me eating <laughs> through a whole bunch of fire bombs that i'm not proud of <laughs> that's exactly how i how i dealt with it look man whatever oh here's gosh. three fire bombs in the fucking face whatever <laughs> yeah um, i go ahead i i just wanted to bring up like one one more narrative element that we had jumped over before this moment before they before this 
at the dam, Ellie had taken the photo. Mm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Joel and Joel and Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to bring it up because it's pretty. It it's so crucial to the, to the end of the game, like with the with how Joel handles the situation. Um, but they're in like an outbreak tent or yeah. something similar where they they could see like um where like broken or families had been. Um, this is the first time in the game where Sarah's brought up and Joel doesn't freak out. Yeah. And she pulls out the photo of them that she took at the dam. And it's a really somber moment between the two of them where, and it comes at such a good time because, you know, with everything Ellie's just went through and trying to, to deal with that emotion and everything that they went through with the loss of Tess um, and Sam and, um, and Henry, Joel accepts the photo and just admits that no matter mm. how hard he tries, you just have to accept your past. You can't outrun it. Yeah. And then gives Ellie a very grateful thank you mm. for the picture and for that moment. And that's, a, that's probably the second or third, like most emotional moment between them in the game. Yeah. And it's, it, it's just sets up like the entire ending of the game and why Joel makes the decisions that he makes. Yeah. It lays, it's, it's probably the most like nakedly honest. I think the game gets about the, the themes that it's trying to put forward is, is Joel with that line. Like you, you cannot run your past. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's great shit. Um, the first time we went through this, the first time I went through this game, I thought I had fucked up a button prompt when Joel hands back the the picture to Tommy. Like I didn't realize that there were you didn't have a choice in that. Getting it back from okay. Ellie made it feel like, you know, I I didn't know if there were multiple paths that 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 could progress that, but this felt like the most um impactful way that could turn out is rejecting it from Tommy and then eventually having it brought back to you from Ellie. Like that that just felt right and natural as a story beat. Yeah. A hundred percent. Man. Um so we've reached the the end of the game and Joel is gonna make some choices. I think is the best way we can describe this next section. Um, we've reached the hospital with the fireflies and um, we find out that you can, we can in fact make a cure for uh, the infected using Ellie. The catch is we're going to have to harvest shit from Ellie's brain, which will kill her. Um, you can consider this a tactical mistake telling Joel this information um, because <laughs> like I, I almost considered that a plot hole the first time through and then realized like there's no reason Marlene should like she has no reason 
to believe that Joel and Ellie have bonded as much as they have. That's true. That's a good point. Like, this is Joel delivering cargo, as far as Marlene's concerned. Um, and it's not until Joel really puts up a fight about this that she realizes how badly she's fucked this up. Um, so, Joel is attempted to be marched out of the hospital. Um, Joel has a disagreement with a couple of guards. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, that's Ethan, by the way, the guard that he attacks. The S oh, it is. Him out. Oh, yeah, fucking. It's all these generic fucking white guy names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, he marches him out, and he he sees his backpack. Um, yeah, and then attacks he ta- attacks Ethan, um, and then he forcefully figures out that she's. Located in the operating room on the top floor. Shocker. He's got to climb the entire building to get her. Uh, yeah, right. It's fair. Very video gamey. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but this, uh, go ahead. this segment of gameplay, I think, is the closest that we get towards like, it almost feels a little overly video gamey, just going from floor to floor but I think gets away with it just because of how high the stakes are. And the fact that this doesn't feel like any other encounter in the game, Um, you know, where like enemies are super smart. They move in like these two man patrols where they have one guy facing one way, one guy facing the other. So you can't creep up on them. Like it's almost designed for you to try to stealth it as much as you can and inevitably get caught and end up in a, you know, a, a desperate kind of firefight as you work your way well, through. I had I had actually looked at that that whole last segment like sort of differently. Okay. I had looked at it as um they designed it in a way that they only wanted you to stealth when you absolutely had to because Joel would not have it on his mind that he needed to be careful. Mm. He would do everything as fast as he could to save Ellie's life, even if yeah. it meant he got gunned down in the process. Because if he's, if Ellie's dead, his life is not worth living anymore. He's right. lost too much and invested too much. Mm-hmm. So he would do everything he could to save her and only at, would slow down if it meant providing him an extra chance of getting closer to her. Yeah. And I guess the game kind of subtly signposts that to you by like, handing you a machine gun <laughs> yeah for sure it's here go all go all out yeah <laughs> we're yeah. still only going to give you six bullets though <laughs> it's true you're probably right that like i think maybe that is the intended way to play that is just like it's all out war which makes sense right like this is the last segment of the game you may as well use up everything you have yeah um, oh god <laughs> So uh, this next part, <laughs> we make it to the operating room um, where there's three surgeons and scrubs who are about to make their first incision on Ellie. Joel bursts into the room and guns them down. I shouldn't even say that Joel does it. The game forces you to do it. I shouldn't even say forces you to do it. The game just kind of lets you do it. And like, yeah, I, we've we've talked about this before. 
Mm-hmm. And this is the way that Max and I are going to talk about this for the listeners. We are framing a bigger discussion that we will inevitably get to at a later point in time because it's so crucial to the setup to part two. But, but that does not take away from the, the weight of how this feels in this moment. Yeah. I, I, you're, you're absolutely right. The game does not let you, the game doesn't force you, the game doesn't tell you. Like, the game it, just has you do. Or, I don't know, it just allows you to be Joel for a second. To put yourself in his shoes. And, like, really only one thing makes sense there. Like, all of those surgeons have to die. Yeah. And, well, (laughs) I don't know whether... This moment has so much narrative, like... Oh my God, this is like one of the most (laughs) intense moments in the game because it's Mm -hmm. just like these people are literally like standing there like, oh my God, what are you doing? Like they're not trying to kill you. They're they're literally just completely helpless, like Mm. completely your mercy saying, oh my God, please don't do this. Like getting down on their knees, like, oh my God, stop. And if you take like a second, like before they, the guards bust in and kill you, like it's just like they're like cowering in fear. The moment is so intense that when I was playing it through this part, I could not tell if during the remaster they added that haptic pushback on the the button for firing or not because (laughs) I was, like, so, like, emotionally drawn in that, like, I couldn't tell if the button was just heavier because they wanted it to be (laughs) or if I was, like, literally having trouble pulling the trigger. Like, this, this moment is just so intense because like you said there's not it's not like they're shooting at you nothing's happening it's just the game puts you in the room and gives you the ability to just fucking senselessly murder people Mm -hmm. and you do it yeah without question to save ellie's life i've said this before i'll say it here we'll talk about it again later Joel does not make good decisions. <laughs> Joel's not a great guy. <laughs> like he just murdered those three people like senselessly and like Mm-mm. and the, the 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 real that's not the real impact of that statement. The real impact of that statement is that you did it and thinking think of yourself right now if you were in that situation you would have done the fucking same thing. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's and what not- that's what makes this game so goddamn good. <laughs> It's not even people who are, like, not doing anything wrong. It is people who are actively trying to do maybe the most humanitarian act, like, in human history. Um, (laughs) Save the human race. But it's Ellie. (laughs) So. Gotta do what um, you gotta do, I guess. (laughs) Yeah. So from this point on. The game, this is how you can tell that the people who wrote this game are fucking writers. Because the game starts to bookend (laughs) a little bit. Um, And there's a reflection between the very beginning of the game and that intro, which is why we spent a lot of time going over it, and the outro scene. Um, You know, it starts with Joel carrying a child out of danger, and that's how it's going to end. He also, like, he calls Ellie baby girl. 
for the first time here, which is also how he refers to Sarah, which like, ooh, that's uh, that cuts pretty deep. Um, yeah, there's a there's a chase sequence out of the uh, hospital, and we get down to the garage for the final confrontation with um, Marlene. Um, the game presents these scenes kind of out of order, but I'm going to tackle them sequentially just because there's something I want to talk about here um, in this last scene with Marlene, who tries to give you to give a belly, who's really appealing to like your humanity. Um, and Joel can't do it. So he gut shots Marlene. And we have a reversal of the scene at the beginning where Joel is being shot at by a soldier, where Joel is reaching up, asking for mercy, um, and isn't being met with any. This is the reverse side of that. Marlene has got shot on the floor asking for mercy, and... Now we completely understand the flip side of that dynamic. You know, um, at the very beginning of this, when you were talking about like, you know, that soldier's hesitant, he probably has orders and like sympathizing with him a little bit. This is the flip side of that coin of, of understanding um, the inverse of, of those kind of like interactions. Um, Joel is absolutely the bad guy here. And from any other angle, he would be a like despicable because you've seen everything that he's gone through and you have all of this context. His actions don't even seem like they're not even justifiable. They're correct, morally correct. Um, it's really <laughs> wild to show you like how much of a fucked up journey you've had to go through like in this game to reach that kind of conclusion to see Joel as not only the protagonist, but the hero of the story. What's crazy is like that, that emotional journey that they take you on to make you feel that way mm -hmm. about Joel and feel like his actions are, are justified. That's not a theme that they abandon. It's very prevalent in oh, yeah. the last of us too yet not accepted widely. I, we'll, I, we'll talk about that later, but right. uh, my point is s simply just to say that this is, this is an element of storytelling that Naughty Dog does very well. Mm -hmm. And they make you okay with the things that you, you've done, but like at this point in time, you rewind. And Joel alludes many times throughout the dialogue of the game that even in the situations that are just really shitty, that he's done worse. Yeah. Like he's done worse things. At no point from this point out does Joel ever say that again. <laughs> now, again, dialogue with Joel is limited from here on out. Mm. But, I mean, just think about, like, Joel's emotional journey through this. And this, this is a journey of love, love and loss, literally the seasons of his life as this game transitions from, you know, summer to fall to winter to spring. It's just like 
arguably he's been with Ellie for just a year and how much that's changed him. Yeah. And just that small amount of time. And it's just, so he's dealing with all, like all of this as he's like driving away. Cause it, mm-hmm. does he kill her? I, yeah. I don't remember if he kills Marlene. He does. Oh yeah. Okay. He does. Gotcha. Well, I, and I, I guess the reason I don't really remember it was because it like, it doesn't matter. Like, like it's, that's such an inconsequential, like action at that point in time, because he could have just left her for dead there on the ground and just, you know, whatever. But he, anyway, go ahead. He kills her in his last words here. You just come after her, which this is gotcha. like, this is more about closing up. Like this is all for Ellie, but yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So the ne- I like I like the scene where they're driving away a lot, mm-hmm. and Ellie's like passed out in the back seat, and yeah. the look on Joel's face this whole time is just like there's not a lot of variation in it, but like, and it might just be like the player projecting a little bit, but like, God, his mind is reeling, like. Mm-hmm. He 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 has no doubts what he did is the absolute right thing in his mind and he's he's sticking with his convictions. But at that same time, there's like there's such a weight on like just his eyes and it, like his cheekbones. It's just like the way that they made him look and like we're driving. Again, I might have just been projecting, but it's just like super strong. I, I don't even and, think you are. Um and part of that is because like by the time Ellie wakes up, Joel has had to in- invent an entire narrative about how things went down. You know, this is the only time that Joel straight up lies to Ellie. Like, he he knows how fucking bad this is. And I think you're right. His mind is reeling and trying to, to sort of cobble together how is he going to explain this to Ellie so they can just move on and not think about it anymore. Hmm. Yeah. So he he tells her that that the fireflies had already stopped looking for a cure and that Mm -hmm. she wasn't the only human that was immune to uh, this cordyceps or CBI or whatever this this virus was. Mm -hmm. Um, And this kind of like is a gut punch to Ellie because like she went through this whole journey and like she had accepted that her life was going to mean something even at the expense of her own. Yeah. And she was ready for that. And whenever Joel sees that disappointment in her eyes, that's what changes like the literal final scene in the game, in my opinion. Cause I feel like maybe if she had been like, Oh sick, like I don't have to die. Like that's awesome. It might've changed, you know, a yeah. little bit about how Joel approaches that final scene. But they get back to, was it uh, Jackson? Is that the name of the city? Jackson, yeah. Um, and uh, I don't know. A small amount of time has passed, but there's just like a really, this the final scene of the game, I think it is, before credits roll. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the what's the word that she uses? Uh, swear to me? Yeah. I think is what is what she says. But Ellie just gets a little 
I don't know. She's got a bug in her ass. That something's not right. And probably just because of how Joel's acting and how heavy he's been. Yo, yeah, um, she knows. <laughs> um, so, yeah, go ahead. And I'm a little fuzzy on the, the details here. So Ellie initiates this last conversation with Joel. And I think this is where we get the most sort of, you know, a, a peek inside Ellie's head. Um, where she talks about Riley, um, who, if you played, I forget the name of the DLC left behind, uh, left behind. Yeah. 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 You get a little vision into that where Riley was the first person who was close to Ellie who, uh, died. Um, then Tess, then Sam. And she, she kind of lays bare the amount of survivor's guilt she feels. Um, where I think she has an inkling of what going under the knife in that hospital would have meant for her. Um, right. And she needs that death to mean something and to provide value. So I think she's really like, she's really pleading with Joel to come clean. You know, she's trying to get a sense of like, was this even an option for me um, to have to have my life mean something? And Joel can't give her that at the end. It's a it's a <laughs> messy fucking scene, man. It it's hard because I don't know if you ever go on the subreddit. I'm am I the asshole? <laughs> and there's a couple of posts where like people just are like look it's, no one's the asshole here <laughs> like this is just this is tough from both directions joel really wants to give ellie a full life and thinks he can probably find that in jackson ellie by contrast means needs her death to mean something they're just you know too diametrically opposed outcomes um and that sort of conflict is inevitable for them going forward there has to be a, a, a reckoning with this but the game kind of leaves us just on this sort of tension between the two i don't know i i think it's brilliant shit i think it's really really it's, good it's so bold because they yeah. could they could have just as easily left the the game whenever he was driving and she was just like oh and turned back silently and disappointed yeah. and the game could have ended there it still would have been heavy it still would have been good it still would have like left you feeling really weird and not sure how to like swallow like what just happened with Joel but like to make him come face to face with her once again and lie to her face mm -hmm. for his own selfish reasons you know like don't get me wrong there's she gets to live that's good but like ultimately it was against her wishes and it's what it's, it's what, what Joel he wanted wants. not yeah exactly and it just it just really makes your stomach turn like this yeah. this ending is sucks like not in like a i don't <laughs> no. like it but like it makes you feel so shitty like mm -hmm. just like i want i want a better ending or sorry i want a more comfortable ending to a game like this but they're just so okay with just leaving you reeling 
at yeah. this end. And like that, that's what makes you remember this game. That's what makes it like this game so gritty and powerful is that like, if you like, and this again, carries on to the next one. Naughty Dog doesn't give a shit about you feeling good about their games. They want you to remember the stories and remember the lessons. And how are you going to remember it? If you get the warm fuzzy and comfortable, like you, tell me the last time you grew from just being comfortable in a situation. Yeah. Like, they just get this and ah, oh, it's just so fucking good. <laughs> I can't, I could talk about this all day. <laughs> no, I, I completely agree. It is just one of the most satisfying stories that I think has ever been put down like bar none. Um, you know, and a lot of the stuff we talked about of like, you know, having empathy for people stuck in like, survivor situations or even for like you know the quote-unquote antagonists of your game um these are absolutely themes that are in the last of us and i feel like something that naughty dog wanted to explore more or were worried weren't brought out enough in the first part of the story and i think is so prevalent at the like the forefront of part two um which i think it this point we're probably gonna have to cover right yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's coming boys (laughs) yeah i don't think there's any way that like we could have a a full discussion about the last of us without talking about the sequel and i'm i've full disclosure i've only played through it once but i'm excited to go through it again um and start getting more of my thoughts together on it like i've played through this game eight or nine times um and it's one of those that i know like that it's a comfort game for me weirdly at this point (laughs) (laughs) i look forward to to joel fucking up ellie's entire life yeah you know it's just you 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 put on a candle you get under some cozy blankets and you watch some people get emotionally (laughs) devastated Hey, that's a good time. <laughs> yeah. Holy shit. Um, any any closing thoughts on this one, Mike? Is there anything that you that we didn't touch on that you want to touch on? Um. I think that we we talked about it a little bit. I know that we like. I don't want to end this on like a note where I'm like complaining about the game, but like. I would have to say if I could like add anything to this game, I think it would be like you, you mentioned a little bit ago, um, just a little bit more variety in what the game has to offer in terms of like combat. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I like the melee options. I like the, um, the, the movement in the game, but I wish there were like a little bit more weapon variety. I wish there was a little more, uh, there were, for such a for a game that has such a strong focus on the environment, there's not a lot of ways to use the environment to your advantage like there is in the second one. They definitely yeah. learn from the mistakes. Don't get me wrong, um, but that was something that like really stuck out having played two and then going back to part one. Um, For sure, I'm glad they didn't add it in the in the sequel, or I should say the the remake, not the sequel. I'm glad they didn't add it in the remake because it would have changed the way that like the and the npcs act things like that it's not Um, built for that just yeah just 
overall, but that I say that to say that like this game is like a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> like you're <laughs> like of all the things to complain about in the game, regardless, I, I could say the same thing. I had such a good experience playing the remake, but I had just as good of experience playing it on the PlayStation three when it first came out. And then again on the remaster, whenever it, it came out on PS4. So, I mean, there wasn't really anything about this game that like bored me. It was like story, mechanics, graphics, everything. Bar none, some of the best you'll find in video gaming. Absolutely. Absolutely. I generally at this point is where we'd get into second opinions. And I'll be honest, there's so few and far between and so nitpicky. I, I think it does, does the game a disservice to even really get into it. So how about this? How about we'll, we'll put a pin in the second opinions for part one and do a double wide second opinions for part two? <laughs> yeah, we got... <laughs> oh, man. There'll be some I mean, meat on I'm them bones. I'm so excited for the, the episode or part two discussion. I will say, I think that like... As good as this game is and as great as I feel like this episode was, I feel like obviously it's no secret to people listening. Part two is just a divisive game. It sure. really divided the gaming community, regardless of it winning like VGA game of the year, things like that. And people were really upset, but like I, I'm ready to dig into why I just I'm ready to talk about it. Yeah, uh, I just want to refresh myself on the game first, but I think you're right. Like. You know, just a little bit behind the scenes, Max and I have like this list of things that we just want to make sure that we cover, but we try to do it naturally. And I feel like we've gotten to the point now we can do that. Um, but like, I don't feel like we need to to go over anything else. Like, I feel like we've we've wrapped this game up and said all the things that we wanted to, to say about it. Um, I will say like, let's say like, Max, you were working at, at GameStop circa, you know, 20, 2012, and someone walks up to the to the counter with mm. The Last of Us on PlayStation 3, and they're like, what do you think of this game? Should I buy it? Other than just saying yes, like, what would you say? Um, how comfortable you are you with crying? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, I think this is probably the only game that earns the m for mature on the front of the box it actively deals with things in like a way that feels grown up you know this is this is another one of those games that i think pushes forward for what video games can do with storytelling um so yeah you little snot fucking buy it <laughs> Yeah, go get your mom so you can buy this M rated. Yeah, exactly. Game. You know so. what? You just bring her over here because I'm gonna have to do the same <laughs> spiel. Oh, uh, can I see your ID? You're obviously not 17. Where's your mom? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've went through that many times. Trust me. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, I think the only thing I would like say is like the selling point to this game is like, like you said, just. It, this is not a game that you play just to have fun. Like this game will fuck you. 
like in so many ways, like it's what one, it can be incredibly difficult. I don't think that's one thing that we didn't really talk about. We talked about dying at certain parts, but like, yeah, there are parts of this game where you just get like hoarded and crowded and it's just like, it's overwhelming. Like that scene in the tunnels you were talking about, I probably died like 20 or 30 times, like trying to get through that, like in a, in just experimenting in different ways. And that was when I was using listen mode. Like, yeah. it's just a, it can be a really difficult bitch of a game, but like all of those things like combined with the narrative elements of the game and like just the lighting and like just the sounds this game has, like, it's just the design top to bottom is just amazing. Like this is probably one of the best games to come out in the last 15 years in games. Completely agree. And agreed. it earns that spot like head over shoulders or head and shoulders above so many, so many of the other standout titles. Like, yeah, it is just, it is near flawless. Like you, if you, if you've somehow gotten to the end of this episode and you have never played this game, fucking slap yourself in the face and go get this game. Like It's so good. Completely agreed. Yeah. But if you've gotten to the end of this episode and you want to tell us that we're dumb, uh, the post-game content Discord is a pretty great place to do that. <laughs> um, the post-game content Discord, which is uh, now historically the place where I got called a bitch by a complete stranger. So thank you to whoever that was. I, I have to assume that whoever did that is a listener of the show. And maybe they were just like a big fan of Shadow of the Colossus and came for that episode and like heard it and then left and then never coming back. You know, good, good on you. I wish you, it was your great life. But if you are out there, we have had a fantastic laugh over that. I just want you to know. <laughs> Michael, if that's not a listener of the show, that's an insane coincidence. <laughs> no, what I mean is no, like, I know. there are people that like will listen to like, oh shit, Shadow of the Colossus and. Right. Sorry, a fan of the show, not just of the episode. No, I got gotcha. you. But I I'll do think your dick. I um, do think it would be funny if somebody just, <laughs> you know, with zero context, decided today's going to be the day. Call Max a bitch. <laughs> I will join every Discord till there's someone named just Max in it, and I will call them a bitch and I will leave. <laughs> um, um. Speaking of uh, the Discord. Uh, and the community that we're building, it's slow, it's slowly growing, and that's really cool. And I really appreciate every everyone that's in there. Um, during like the downtimes, like there's not a lot of conversation, but the more people that grow, uh, more people that come in, the more we grow, the more the conversations spurn. But like, it's so cool because like the Discord will just be silent, and then someone will be like, "I think this," and it's just like for like a day and a half, it's just like straight conversation and it's it's really cool to just get like all these different takes uh it's really cool making fun of roger uh it's just a lot of a lot of good stuff happening in there so i appreciate everyone uh coming in and you know buffing up that community and and keeping it fun and interesting and you know it's a good place to come i've there's a couple of people that join in and just stream games and stream different things in there and we'll play games in there occasionally uh, yeah. well, we live stream uh, like events in the Discord too. So like Sony, Nintendo events, we'll pop up a stream and we'll watch them together. Um, so yeah, links in the link for the Discord's down below if you want to join. Appreciate everyone who's in there and um, honestly, just for listening. Like it's just been 
just have a lot of fun doing this. It's a good opportunity for Max and I just to get together and bullshit about games that we really like. And um, it's cool to see the growth. We have surpassed like 5,000 listens within like the last couple of weeks. Woo. And that's wild to think there's that many people that give a shit about our, <laughs> our opinions. Um, but we're definitely appreciative of that. And um, if you could just leave us a five-star review, if you think we've earned it and a comment uh, always go a long way. That goes huge in uh, helping us with our discoverability. So um, I do want to say in terms of like content, we've got some like really cool episodes coming down the pipe. For sure. Um, I'm not going to give like too much away. There's some hints in the discord. Uh, you guys can go in there and, and see what's coming, but like some really cool things coming down the pipe. So um, anything you want to say on that, Max, I have one more thing to say to close this out. Um, but if there's anything you wanted to say on those topics. No, I just, I, I completely echo what, what Michael's saying, you know, getting a chance to, to, take the conversation a little bit further from these episodes about games that we love and think a lot about. Um, you know, anytime we get a chance to get some different perspectives on it, I think it's that conversation is always great. So thank you guys very much. Last, but certainly not least, um, post game content is part of a larger company that is owned by yours truly, along with a couple other people, including my brother who helps edit our show uh, making it sound all nice and pretty for you guys. Uh, 13 Palm Trees Podcast Productions is our production company. It's a company that we own. We have other podcasts that are out there on our banner. We just launched a new one today as of the recording date of this episode, Super Nintendo Bros. Uh, anyone out there that was a fan of Gurus of Gaming, that's a spiritual successor to that show, but it's just focused on Nintendo content. Uh, Video Game Mythos is still kicking around out there where myself and uh, Ryan Wilfong, um, he has since left the show, but all the episodes that he's he's done are still out there. Do deep dives in a different fashion than we do in this show uh, into like video game lore um, and specific characters and specific stories, things like that. Uh, D&D kinda that I am the DM on. God, I'm in too much shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm the, the DM on and I, we're like 50 some episodes in and not stopping anytime soon. So um, I'm in Wasted Local Fantasy Football as a silent participant where me and nine other people are in a fantasy football league and we just shit on each other and bring our, our trash talk and our horrible teams to discuss. It's a good time. There's actually a YouTube show for that. Um, but check out our website, 13palmtrees.com and then 13palmtrees.myshopify.com if you like the show. And you want merch, that money that you put into the merch helps fund the studio and keeps us up and running. We've got t-shirts for every episode, the cover arts that you see for like our each of our shows that's on all of our socials. Um, things like that are just there's so much shit on there. 13 palmtrees.myshopify.com. If you could look at that and buy a shirt with Max's face on it, that would go a long way into keeping our keeping our doors open. So we definitely appreciate that. So I'm done shamelessly plugging our, our company, but um, <laughs> we we do need your help to keep keep our doors open. So we appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anything else you want to say to close this one out, Michael? Yeah, buy uh, buy the Last of Us. <laughs> 
don't have it already, I mean, it's just, it's fucking like 20 bucks. You could find it for probably cheaper than that, honestly. So uh, it's worth your time. Definitely worth it. I think it's worth your time. Well, in the spirit of this game, I think I'm going to close it out the way that we began. Uh, thank you from both of us. Uh, this has been Michael. I'm Max and I'm a bottle boy. Good night, everybody.